So welcome once again to the Coffee and Heroes podcast. Uh, we're actually bringing you a reviews podcast this time. We've been filling your ears recently with creator interviews, but we're now going to get back to the basics of reviewing our favorite comics from the the weeks of December. We are a little bit behind, but we're going to do our best to catch up again. Yes, I know it's not the first time you've heard that, but we really mean it this time, we promise. So Alan, as always, uh, owner and operator of Coffee and Heroes with you now. I'm joined once again by Keith, Mr. Marvel himself. How are you, sir? I am not too bad and Happy New Year to you boys. Happy. Yes, same to you. It's, it seems strange saying Happy New Year. Oh, that third voice, by the way, it's nice of you to talk before I intro you, Paddy. Come on. Come on. <laughs> How are you, sir? Are you keeping all right? Yeah, very well. Had a nice, relaxing Christmas. Not much to do. And... Um, back to work so yeah i'm all good glad to be back recording yeah it's interesting saying happy new year when we're recording this on the 13th of january you know christmas has been new year's has been my birthday has been you know that's that's it all over now for another year all of the big events so uh (laughs) but yeah you know christmas for me yeah it's been a it's been a strange one you know obviously the with everything happening in the world right now, you know, the store is, is closed in its bricks and mortar state, but very much uh, keeping going with deliveries, keeping going with the online store is growing. Uh, we do get access to the store a couple of days a week as well, so we can, you know, get back issues or trades. People are interested in that kind of thing. But I have to admit the process is certainly challenging when it comes to running a comic store from your home. I do not envy mail order comic companies at all. Because see the constant messages, emails, um, PayPal details, bank transfers, postage, deliveries. It's it's certainly challenging. I, I'm very much a lazy guy. I like to think I've done all the hard work to this point. And I like having the store for people to come to me. So I can't <laughs> wait to get back to the store. Um, I, I mean, to be honest, that, that all sounds very ranty. But I think the thing about it is is I just I miss the store from the um, the community point of view. You know, the store always feels like to me is you're hanging out with your mates and then they buy things before they leave. When you're doing it, <laughs> when you're doing it this way, it just feels like you're selling them stuff and that's it. You know, and that, you know, you don't get as long for those interactions or chilling out, that kind of thing. So I think that's just what I miss most, to be honest. You know, it's it's always great, of course, sitting down with you guys, being able to chat comics and, you know, rediscover that love through conversation. But, you know, I think everyone's facing their own challenges at the moment. So... Yeah, long live working from the actual store and not from home. Mm. You sure you I mean, can't wait till September till things get back to normal? <laughs> Cheers, Patty. <laughs> There's just no need for that. Uh, I uh, okay, I don't mind. Uh, I don't mind working from home at all. Uh, I've been working from home pretty good with it. You know what I mean? I've got maybe maybe set up with maybe you've got one of these standing desk stands for the table and, and all that. So that all gets broken down, and I'm I'm fairly fairly fastidious about separating my my home life from my working life when i'm in the office and i've managed to extend that into the into the home space even though it is a tiny little apartment space i understand patty it's not quite so easy for you no the the idea of working from home just isn't for me i'm happy to be in the office you know we follow all the guidelines and everything in here everybody's well distanced but yeah if i was the the work from home it's just, I, I just know i know i'd be working at about 20 percent and uh but yeah no it's it works an escape for me you know it, it kind of always has been and for someone that that likes his own space and, and having a bit of you know peace and quiet for a couple of hours every night it's well that's it i mean uh, again we're just we're catching up properly here for the first time in a few weeks so 
you know, I'm sure we've all been busy watching different TV shows, different movies, all that kind of stuff as well. I mean, talking about adapting to, you know, the modern world, Cobra Kai season three, Johnny is the <laughs> ultimate in adapting to the modern world, I think. <laughs> yeah, season three has been, I mean, I'm, a, I'm just over halfway through it. I mean, I, I mean, I still feel like all of you guys are coming late to the party, you understand? Oh, I, I, I really see are. that smug look in your face every time I mention it. <laughs> It's just like I've been telling you this for years. <laughs> so, so yeah, I'm really enjoying it. I realized last night how much I hate Crease. You know, they I, and I, I I realize also that I've hated that man since 1984. They're giving him backstory and everything. Yeah, now, though, you know? I know, I know, absolutely, and I still can't sympathize with him. No, know, I, do, so. I, I think watching his backstory, I won't say too much because I know you're still a, a wee bit to go, Keith. I think his backstory added quite a, a bit to the character. Yeah. Still an, a, an absolute asshole, but yeah, you know, yeah. you can see why he's that asshole. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but no, yeah. I, I totally agree. I totally agree, but uh, yeah, still, 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 are an awesome villain. Like, well, it's know. okay. He'll never be the worst character in the show because that's always going to be Danny's daughter. So, <laughs> don't care what anybody says. Or, or her nemesis is probably just is equally annoying. Yeah. No, I don't agree with that. I actually really like her and feel sorry for her. I have to say. I, uh, I cannot I, stand Danny's daughter. I even said at the start of the season to Vicky because she punches me every time we watch it because I whinge about I, what's her name in it. I can't remember. Sam is it? Um, yeah. I every time she's on screen, I it, it's like when you used to watch Lost and any time Kate came on screen, your shoulders what? just went, oh god, here we go again. Oh, I'm not going to get into that one, Patty. That's a long conversation, but it's it's a well-known fact that the weakest episodes of Lost are always the Kate episodes. Always. Uh, but the season itself has been superb, though I, I definitely think they've upped the production budget a little bit with that sweet Netflix coin. Uh, yeah, yeah. And I'm, I'm just loving it. I mean, I, it, it's just so, it's just a smile. It just puts a smile on your face watching it. It's so nostalgic. We actually, as soon as we finished season three, the first thing Vicky and I did was go on Spotify and someone had put together a playlist of season one, two, and three all together. And it oh, is yeah. just, it is Johnny Lawrence's wet dream. It is amazing. <laughs> Brilliant. I'm, I need to get on that then. Thanks for that wee, that wee insight. But yeah, I mean, absolutely. You know, the, there was uh, there were some characters that appeared in season three that, you know, had been in Karate Kid too. And uh, I wonder, are we going to see you know, I haven't finished the season yet, but I wonder are we going to see Terry Silver appear? Uh, that would be that would be quite quite nice. Um, certainly, the first thing Bruno said to me whenever they were, you know, they were in Okinawa was, "I want to go to Okinawa. I want to go to Japan." <laughs> you know, and and then you know, uh, some of the episodes you're saying where you get a wee bit of Chris's backstory. It answered the question for me because I've been going, "What, you know, what style of karate is?" It's Cobra Kai practicing, you know what I mean? Because I, I couldn't, I couldn't picture the style. I couldn't pinpoint the style. It's not, it's not my style. It's not Shotokan. It's not Wataru. And uh, the, the, one of the crease episodes, you know, the background episodes revealed that he was taught Tang Sudo, which is a Korean version of karate, uh, separate and apart from, uh, separate and apart from, um, from, uh, you know, some of the other Korean martial arts. So. So that was interesting. I was interested to to learn that. Uh, sorry, we bit of a boring martial arts. <laughs> I, did, I had no idea there was different forms of karate. I kind of thought it was 
karate was karate or you know jujitsu you know, was jujitsu that's almost like saying to keith can you tell us your political views please <laughs> <laughs> you're about to be schooled son for at least the next half an hour nah, nah, nah. another time another time uh, well we'll move yeah, on to yeah, a different was... we'll move on to a different type of karate i would imagine and uh yeah i've been watching daredevil as well um you know, similar to you, Keith, I wanted to catch up on all the Netflix stuff before they inevitably are all taken off. Really dug season three, lots of overtones of Born Again, lots of uh, influences from that classic run. Charlie Cox, superb in the role. If Vincent D'Onofrio does not get brought over to the MCU as Kingpin, there really is something wrong. Really, yep, yep, really I'm great series. Really dug it. Yeah, I would I would second that with... Uh... I would second that with a lot of the Netflix characters. Charlie Cox, you know, was that that's one thing they did was they, you know, I mean, the casting was phenomenal. The casting was really, really good. Charlie Cox is Daredevil, you know, and and yeah, and any of them really, I would, I would be happy to see any of them in the MCU. Uh, I couldn't, I couldn't really complain. Yeah, so we've been catching up on that, and then we're halfway through Punisher season two. I'm finding it a little harder going because of you know. I suppose the events of the modern world and police brutality and all this kind of stuff. The Punisher's a weird character, I think, in in today's society. But uh, I, I uh, that that season is insanely violent. Yeah, insane. <laughs> really is. I mean, we just watched uh, an episode that was set. Uh, it reminded me of like an old John Carpenter movie, like Assault on Precinct Thirteen. It was essentially mm-hmm. Frank, a couple of local sheriffs, and his prisoners, so to speak. You know, battening down the hatches against you know, this huge threat from outside. And it was really brilliantly done, so it was. But mm-hmm. holy moly, it was yeah, violent. Yeah. Now you mention it, that there definitely were echoes of Precinct 13 there, for sure. Um, what do you think? I mean, I guess you've maybe seen, you know, since the since the Capitol Hill riots last week, the, the calls for uh, for Marvel to uh, to put the Punisher to rest because so many of the far-right alt-right organizations are are using the Punisher's logo as, as, a, as a logo. Yeah, I, mean, I think that's uh, it's inevitable, isn't it? You know, it's where to withdraw the lane. You know, you, you, people calling on Marvel to get rid of a character that's been going around for. You'd probably be able to tell me Keith when Punisher was first introduced, and you, because a couple of idiots decide to wear his logo, mm-hmm, you know, to mm-hmm. a, come a sand like three hundred thousand Liverpool tops then to Washington. <laughs> or get everybody to wear a Liverpool top, and then we can bomb Liverpool as well. <laughs> I th- I saw uh, someone actually comment on this on the cesspool that is Twitter, and they said there was a really easy solve for this. They don't need to take the character of Frank Castle away; they just need to make him gay, and then all the alt right people won't want to use his symbol anymore. <laughs> Solved. Yeah, I mean it's difficult. I mean characters are created of their time, I suppose, and you know the Punisher. I, I've read some great Punisher runs, but I, I read them as escapism. I don't see them as really relevant to reality, shall we say. But, you know, the Punisher's a very one-dimensional character, always has been. So it's been about that escapism. So, yeah, I I think we're going to live in a very sanitized world 10, 10 years, 20 years down the line. Just every, Nothing's going to exist anymore because everybody mm-hmm. gets offended about something. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, should, I, should, I should point out that I absolutely think that you know just because some not cases adopt a, a symbol doesn't mean that the punisher should be in any way altered or, or taken away or you know what i mean they've clearly got the wrong idea you know so uh no i think i think uh yeah marvel should certainly make a statement what marvel should do <laughs> would be start prosecuting them for uh for breaching their ip <laughs> copyright infringement yeah Which, exactly given that they're owned by disney these days i'm surprised they haven't 
Yeah, absolutely. To be honest, so... But yeah, those are the Marvel shows. That That's pretty much what we've been watching, myself and Vicky, anyway. I mean, I know you guys have been watching a few other shows. I am going to just let you talk about Mandalorian as much as you yes. want because <laughs> I've had it spoiled through different memes, through different pictures, through social media. I probably don't know everything. I will watch it at some point. I'm sure I'll enjoy the hell out of it, surprises or not. You guys work away. You, you chat to your heart's content. Yeah, for me, it's the best 15, 20 minutes, I think, star wars has ever done just from the minute you see that axe wing flying and then i'm like nah it can't be and i was actually watching it me and my mum would watch it religiously every friday and then you've seen the green lightsaber the black glove and i'm like it can't be nah listen there's no way it's not who would even play him and then when the hood came down oh i don't know what it was i just i broke down in the tears and just fantastic and then Grogu having the, the the say goodbye as well and just uh, absolutely perfect it, it was yeah for me the the tv moment of of 2020 without a doubt uh yeah i uh, i certainly enjoyed the season two finale i was uh, i was watching it my mom and dad's face because it was up there for christmas so i was uh whooping and hollering my way through that that scene for sure despite the fact i was sitting in the sitting room by myself um you know, but uh, no, it was it was really solid stuff. I, I mean, I think uh, the Mandalorian these two seasons have easily been the best Star Wars since 1983. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, there's no, there's no, definitely, absolutely love it. And for me, it's not even, it's not even so much as what what, what is happening because I mean, I'm enjoying the stories, enjoying the characters. It's the tone and the atmosphere that they set that you know galactic fantasy sort of galactic western sort of feel that they've got going on. I abs, I just think it's, it's really fantastic. Did you hang around for the the after credits sting? Yes, I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, the book yeah. of Boba Fett. Yeah, less interested in that. Yeah, and I'm the same. I Boba Fett think is is a brilliant support character. I'm not sure about him holding down his own series. Yeah, absolutely. I think he's he's a character who, in fans' minds, is so much more than yeah. he actually is. You know. <laughs> Yeah, but as you well uh, know, they did announce about three million different Star Wars shows. So you know, every ca- it's it's like that whole Oprah thing. You get a show, and you get a show. You get a show. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We chatted about that there uh, before Christmas, didn't we? Yeah, we um, we predicted it in one way. We said we, we you know that one episode you could have three spin-off shows, and then the next week Disney Disney obviously listened and stole our ideas. They they went ahead and <laughs> and launched a few uh, a few shows. No, but it is it's a great time to be to be a Star Wars fan. Uh, also a great time to be a Star Trek fan. I uh, finished off uh, Discovery Season 3. I'm really enjoying Discovery. Uh, it's it's solid, solid stuff. Really good yeah, stuff. Yeah, I, I enjoyed Series 1 and 2. I haven't got around to Series 3 yet. First episode, sorry, which I thought was fantastic. It looks like it's taken a, a unique direction. I was kind of watching the first episode, and I'm like, did they try and cast Idris Elba here? And they couldn't get him, so they went for a lookalike. Because yeah. every time that guy talks, and every I take it he's a, a series regular, is he? A, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he hangs around, yeah. 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 But yeah, no, uh, that's next on the on the list. Good stuff. And then the other the other Netflix show that I was that I was I was watching uh, we watched over Christmas was the Queen's Gambit, uh, which not like not a not a pop culture show, not a like a sci fi or so kind of outside of my regular, you know my regular drawer of, of watching you know because i generally watch for escapism i generally watch something that couldn't even happen anywhere near the real world uh you know in the present day so this was 
kind of, I was like, ah, interesting. Everybody's chatting about it. We watched the first episode, and I was just compelled. I we just ate our way through it over the last few days. So good, so good. The, you know, the story of uh, and the, the setting and the, you know, in the late fifties and sixties. Um, you know, around, uh, I guess a a girl who's a wee bit of a savant, a chess savant. You know, so it was it was very very good indeed. Very good. Indeed. I, I think it's the perfect example of a mini series. You know, start to finish, the character arcs are all there. There's absolutely no need for a second series. I hope they just leave it alone and let it sit as... Mm. I want to give a shout out to Deanna Taylor-Joy, who is, as we discussed earlier, beautiful. She's just <laughs> absolutely gorgeous. I'd almost maybe want to watch, uh, what do you call the Marvel one she's done recently? New Mutants. New Mutants. However, not that much. <laughs> yeah, I missed that one myself, and I didn't realise she was in it. <laughs> I seen her in the trailer. There was a trailer on Sky or something the other day. For it. I'm like, ah, oh, there she is. Yeah, she, nope, she plays she magic in it. So she Have you seen it all? No, I've, I've heard no. bits and pieces of it, but yeah, I've seen trailers. There, there's going to be one night. It's going to be on Netflix or Disney Plus or something. I'll probably just go give it a go. She's actually very good. Uh, she was a bit younger at the time, but there's a really good role she had in Split. The M. Yes. Night Shyamalan movie, and she was actually very, very good in it. Oh, we've seen that. Okay. Yeah, she was the the main girl who got taken in it. One of the cheerleaders. Mm. Yeah, but I still uh, need to watch Glass. I haven't got around to watching Glass it yet. Glass is great. I really I'm... enjoyed Glass. It was. Uh, I'm a big fan of that trilogy in general. Oh, me too. To me too. Uh, yeah, and I'm shocked that uh, Split was out two years, and I never heard like what happened in the last 30 seconds but similar to what you're talking about with your star wars moment see as soon as the music started coming in i recognized that from unbreakable straight away because yeah. i <laughs> love yeah, exactly love unbreakable it's the best yeah, superhero such a movie. Good movie so yeah, uh, such a good movie. yeah i mean speaking of movies i mean i suppose we should throw out a wee a wee review or two for one of the one of the two big releases over christmas i mean this could get interesting this could get interesting wonder woman 84 you're allowed to su- summarize it in five words or less. You go first, Keith. Uh, disappointing, derivative. Uh, I, I think that's, that's all I need. Two, <laughs> two words is enough. How about you, Paddy? Oh, you know what? I enjoyed it. Yeah, went to see it in the cinema. I, I've noticed a, a massive difference from people who've seen it in the cinema and people who watched it at home. You know, it seems... I listened to uh, another review and there was three people reviewing it, two seen it at home, one seen it in the cinema, and everybody I kind of speak to, it, it's the same. I thought when it was good, it was good, but when it was bad, you know, some of the decisions, like uh, the way they brought back Chris Payne for me just did not work in any way, shape or form. I, 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 until they explained what was happening, I'm going, so has he taken over his body? What was this? You know, and then she explains that oh, I can't see you, but, you know, I enjoy the villains. Uh, I didn't enjoy that scene where she was amongst the tanks and used her whip to control a bullet and then save the kids, you know, when they were in, was it Egypt they were in at the time? Oh, yeah, yeah, they were in the Middle East somewhere, yeah. yeah. You know, what I found interesting about it is that it, that's two Wonder Woman films now, and it's probably because there's a, a female director, Patty Jenkins, it, it's... She's never sexualized in the films, you know. She's never. It's very character based. For as good looking as she is, she's probably the most, you know, good looking, attractive woman on the earth. She's just. She's the definition of too good looking. I actually went to see it with my girlfriend's brother. She stood me up, and uh, 
every now and again, he just, whenever, you know, he just tapped me on the shoulder and he goes like, why is she so good looking? You tell me. You're clearly on a roll tonight, you know, first you're (laughs) you're showcasing Anya Taylor-Joy, now you're on the Gal Gadot. By the way, that was more than five words. Um, (laughs) Just over. I enjoyed it. As simple as that. That's your five. No more than that. No more than less. (laughs) I... But I, I do think there's something to what you're saying there, Patty, about home consumption versus cinematic consumption. Because when you step into a cinema, you forget about the outside world for two hours. You switch your phone off. Well, if you're a decent human being, you switch your phone off. And you just get wrapped up in the world. If you're sitting watching something at home, oh, I need to go pee. I'll pause it. Oh, I'm going to get a drink. Do you want anything? Pause it. You know, you've you've got your phone sitting there vibrating, whatever. I think there's definitely something to be said. I think for the diff- for the suspension of disbelief sometimes that is needed to watch and enjoy a movie. And with Wonder Woman, I'm a big fan of the first one. This was nowhere near as good as the first one. There was no set piece in it that was anywhere near No Man's Land for me. But I enjoyed it. I thought there was tons of charm to it. I thought there was some good humor. There were some bits that fell flat as well. But by and large, I was just really pleased to be back in a cinema enjoying a movie again. So maybe so that added to it, you know. I think that sums it up. If I had watched it at home, 100%, I would have been on my phone at numerous points during that film. Definitely. A special share as well. Keith, I know you were a massive, massive fan of it. The, the used cars and I uh, commercial at the start. No, those were atrocious. So that, that was me you were talking to about that. Uh, Sorry, Alan. I don't know. If you haven't seen these, Keith, just you know, just stay oblivious. <laughs> it's basically a used cars NI salesman pitching like how he can utilize different movies to impress his customers. It's atrocious. <laughs> oh, it God, right. Some of the worst things right. I've ever seen it. And it just seemed so long. I was a few rows behind Alan, and you could see the head just going side to side. <laughs> <laughs> I think hearing any, I think hearing any Northern Irish accent in the cinema on the cinema screen is fairly atrocious. Yeah, anyway. yeah. But I will say, I enjoyed, uh, I enjoyed Maxwell Lord as a villain way more than I enjoyed um, what do you call him? Uh, God of War in the last one. Mm-hmm. Uh, even just the villain himself, Ares himself. I thought he was he made the same they made the same mistake with that as they did with Justice League as they have done so many times in Marvel movies with villains. Uh, you know, it was a real forgettable throwaway throwaway villain, whereas Maxwell Lord at least was I don't know if it was maybe the fashion and the eighties thing or whatever, but he was just a wee bit more uh, interesting as a villain. What do you think of Kristen Wake? I think there's a spin off there, I think. Yeah, I can see a HBO Max show getting announced for Cheetah. Yeah, mm. but, but again, going back to it as a pure popcorn movie, I had fun with it. Am I in a rush to see it again? Probably not. Will I buy it when it comes out? Probably, because that's just <laughs> how we're conditioned. Okay. So, um, but yeah, I suppose there's just one more movie I'll let you two throw sh- uh, a shout out for, because I haven't watched it yet, because again, I'm allergic to Disney Plus, clearly. But uh, certainly, if only movie... you had logins as well. You know, if only someone had provided you a way to watch these well, masterpieces. Maybe if, that, maybe if that person hadn't set me up with an Iron Man avatar, I might have been more inclined to watch it. But... Not mention what time has changed to either. No, well, we'll leave that to you. But I know it was something you massively enjoyed, Keith, which was uh, Pixar's latest offering. Yeah, I mean, we we saw it at the uh, the Disney, you know, shareholders you know meeting that video but it was uh it was it was pixar's uh pixar disney's uh christmas day release which was soul uh starring uh Fox, uh, a number of other uh individuals but it was a great animated movie really enjoyed it i really enjoyed the the music connection it's about a 
a jazz musician, you know, and he uh, he works in a school as a music teacher. And, you know, it's so funny. You see it so often, you know, where, you know, he, he's offered a full time job with a with a pension and a 401k and all of that sort of stuff, you know, and that is that is just, an, you know, anathema to, to a musician. That's, you know, that sort of job security is what steals your creativity, is what steals your you know, and you, that's that's why musicians are musicians. They don't they don't want to do the nine to five. You know, it's so you know it's so funny. I've seen him offer that, and him being been disappointed. And at the same time, you know, he's offered a gig with an artist he really really appreciates. You know, and uh, and uh, you know has he has the uh, he has the you know the, the rehearsal, and then he he disappears off and falls down a manhole and and ends up on the on the stairway to heaven. Uh, and it's just what happens from there, you know. He's so he's like, I can't die. I've got a gig, <laughs> you know, but it's just it goes from there, and he ends up on the wrong side of the stairway, not not in hell, but in the place where, in the place where souls are before they're born into bodies, you know. So these, yeah, it's just it's very very funny, uh, very creative actually. Um, I really really enjoyed it. Really enjoyed that. Yeah, it was just we watched it on I think Boxing Day, and I, I loved it. I loved the music. It reminded me a wee bit of. A film that gets a lot of stick, but there's something about it I love. La La Land. La La Land's great. The, the musical with... Ryan uh, Gosling and Emma Stone. Emma Stone, yes. Uh, just the jazz. La La, I love La La Land. We went to see it in the cinema and I loved, I think, the last 15, 20 minutes of that. You know, the epilogue? The, oh, see, we're, came... we're veering into argumentative territory here. but Oh, Keith, not a fan? No, no, no. It's, uh, I don't even know if you've seen it, Keith, La La Land. I uh, saw it years ago, I think. I, don't, I wouldn't really uh, I hate the last 20 it. minutes of it. No, no, it's the but best the part of the reason film. reason I hate it is because when I go to see a movie, I want to see a definitive ending. I don't want to see, here's what would have happened if they stayed together. Here's what would have happened if they were apart. It's a total cop-out of, we'll show you both directions. This story could have ended instead of it just being, here's the ending. So I, I appreciate the, the, the work that goes into it and the musical numbers and stuff. But, yeah. I, but I hate movies like that that have their cake and eat it. It's like, give me an ending. Okay. Latest round door. You can t- I'm in a really <laughs> ranty mood this evening. It would appear. Anyway, we'll move away from ranty. Uh, the, the other one, sorry, that if you didn't watch, I highly recommend. And, you know, I know Alan, you were in a wee bit of a jazz kick. Um, you know, so you'll really, you will enjoy Soul. But uh, was it was a blues-based movie. It was Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, which was the, the final piece that uh, Chadwick Boseman did before he passed away. Mm-hmm. Um definitely worth a watch i mean it was it was it was a very good piece of work it was um i could tell you know from the start that it was it was originally supposed to be a stage play and it was written as a stage play just because of the economy of location and 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 so forth and so on but such a such a good show really really recommend it very very good show um you know just about well i'll not i'll not go into it but it was it was great i mean bozeman plays a fantastic role it's a wee bit um i could so it's a wee bit poignant seeing how much weight he had lost between black panther and that you know as a result you know of his illness and uh, that that movie was released uh was it shortly it was finished it was finished in in august and he died two weeks after it was finished uh you know but it was a really really good movie not just because chadwick boseman's in it but he certainly certainly adds to it you know worth it worth a look i think he's Odds on favorite at the bookies, isn't he, for best actor? Right. Yeah. Well, you know, it's it, it's always nice when they're able to give those sort of posthumous awards, but it's 
It might mean slightly less this year, given that there was about nine movies released in the <laughs> whole year. But, uh, you know, Bad Boys for Life was the highest grossing movie last year. That's sort of... As much as I love Bad Boys for Life, because it's a lot of fun, I didn't think it would be the biggest grossing movie of the year. Um, so, yeah, there you go. So, uh, yeah, that's pretty much what we've been watching anyway, TV show, movie-wise, and so forth. But I suppose it's time we get to the comics, so it is. So what we're going to be doing tonight is we're going to be going over two weeks' worth of releases. So these were the last two weeks' releases uh, before Christmas. These were, and I say this with all sadness approach to it, uh, attached to it, these were the last two weeks the store was open and it's a normal capacity. Uh, so these are going to be, we're going to be covering releases from the 16th of December and the 23rd of December. So as always, we like to look at what our pull lists were that week in terms of numbers. So certainly for the 16th, which we'll kick things off with, I had 29 totals, uh, 29 titles in total. That was 9 DC, 5 Marvel, 13 Indie, and then I had 2 graphic novels. Uh, what about yourself, Paddy? What were your numbers? I had 15 titles, 2 DC, 3 Marvel, and 10 Indie. And what about yourself, Keith? I was sitting with 27 titles. I normally find myself like two issues behind you, Alan. <laughs> <laughs> I just look at your pull list when I do it every week and just like pick two more. Just I two more. 27 titles total. That was 9 DC. Sorry. 4 DC, 9 Marvel, and 13 Indie with, uh, with one original graphic novel. So as you can see, this is very much a indie loaded week right here, uh, which makes it all the more interesting when we get to our picks of the week that only one of them is indie out of the three. But uh, yeah, don't worry, Keith, your your numbers once we get to the um, podcast for 13th of January, I'm sure will outweigh mine just because of the sheer <laughs> volume of Marvel stuff that came out this week. Yeah. I've seen, you, seen your pull list, Keith, when I was collecting mine and... I thought I had a big week, and then I'm like, "Oh, this is my biggest week ever." And then I saw your appeal, and I'm like, "Oh." Okay. And uh, and Vicky was uh, Vicky was kind enough to uh, to deliver them to me this afternoon, so I haven't uh, even had a chance to get them out of my my coffee and heroes, uh, you know, uh, bag yet. So uh, I'm looking forward to getting a wee look through those. But there's some some well, we're getting ahead of ourselves there. So what we're going to do is we're going to focus on the 16th. So yeah, we're going to um, start with myself then for my pick of the week. So there was some fantastic stuff this week and we'll certainly get in the honorable mentions and myself and Keith were probably fighting it out a little bit for what he ultimately chose for his pick of the week it very easily could have been mine but what I'm actually going to go with uh, this week is Dark Knight's Death Metal number six so it's an interesting one choosing this as number six because obviously I know how number seven ends as well so but the reason I chose this so Number six, writer Scott Snyder, artist Greg Capullo. You've got Jonathan Glapian on inks and FCO Placentia on colors. Now, for me, Death Metal is an interesting one because it, I think it started slowly. It struggled a bit in the middle, but I think it's hitting top gear as it rattles towards its conclusion and establishing what the new status quo is going to be for the DC Universe moving forward. You know, I think with Metal, we just needed to embrace the insanity and the outlandishness of the title to fully enjoy it. You know, I think sometimes, and I know I'm certainly guilty of this, sometimes we just take comics a bit too seriously sometimes. So with this one, where do we stand in issue six? So it's issue six of seven. So the final battle is underway. You've got the heroes and villains of the multiverse united to face the dark forces of the dark multiverse, led by the darkest night. Yes, that's a lot of dark. Uh, to determine the fate <laughs> of the DC metaverse. 
Now, as I said, issue six, it's essentially a big, the big fight issue that you'll always get with any big um, event like this. And Greg Capullo has come to party. The art in this issue is exceptional the whole way through. I think there's a massive sense of scope and scale that you don't always see all the time in comic books. You know, this feels massive to me. It feels like there are stakes. It feels like everyone might not survive. You know, there's that epic last stand as they all proclaim, you know, one universe together. You know, there's there's lots to unpack in this issue. You have Wonder Woman who, you know, Scott Snyder's always said is the hero of this tale. It's not a Batman story. It's not a Superman story. This is, this is Diana's time. And she leads an army of Lobos directly into the heart of the Dark Multiverse. You've got the main battle between the heroes, villains, and dark villains. And all the while, you've also got Perpetua and the Darkest Knights continuing their cosmic battle for the fate of all reality you know tons at stake but despite the apocalyptic overtones there's lots of humor lots of sly digs littered throughout you know jaro is always a uh, a delight the whole way through it you know it's meant to be preposterous and it embraces it and i think it's just taken me really to about issue five to realize that you know there's a desire as well to unite all of DC continuity into one place. You know, Keith will be the first to say when it comes to DC continuity, they never treat it as stringently, let's say, as, as Marvel will do. Um, but what's interesting in this one is, you know, they talk about all the DC history. It happened, all of it, you know, every character remembers it all. There's even old-fashioned art at one point with all the character heads popping up. You know, one army, one planet. But you know, the reason it stands out to me as well is just such great issue. It just it has to go to that art. You know, Capullo, for me, he's delivering career-defining work here with this massive cast, horror imagery, battle imagery, smaller, more emotive moments. And with the work of those long-term collaborators, uh, Glapian and Placentia, this issue simply sings or lets out its best death metal scream, you know, whatever analogy works better for you there. But... You know, being a little bit behind in our reviewing, I've now read number seven, as I say, and I've kind of got a feeling I'll be digging into that world again with number seven when we get to that week's releases. So uh, I'll just leave it there. But, you know, I love this issue. Just it, it's everything that Death Metal was sort of um, promising. It's starting to deliver on. It has taken a while to get here. I wouldn't be surprised if some people dropped off of some of it. But once you reach this point, I really feel like your faith in it's being rewarded. So... So that's my take on it. Anyway, uh, what about you boys? What is your take on metal? Who wants to go first? Well, I think um, I think I maybe I maybe started off with the uh, making the making making maybe a mistake of a of a Marvel reader, you know, because because Marvel's continuity is so well curated and 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 looked after and and edited, whereas. You know, well, we've discussed this before. We've we've read books about it, Alan. You know, the the fact that DC have a, I guess, a few more problems with their their continuity with regard to the stop start nature of it and crises redefining it. Yeah, and... I mean, when DC started, they didn't even all belong in the same universe. So to yeah, speak, whereas, yeah, yeah. And they've, they've with Marvel, they've it was always with, yeah. all in New York. So. Yeah, contiguous. Yeah. So so yeah, I think I started off holding holding too tightly to that that concept. And maybe maybe it was the the interview we did with Clay whenever he was talking about continuity, you know. Uh, and all that sort of stuff, but but yeah, I think you know I, I I made the decision maybe maybe early in this issue or maybe at the end of the last issue of Metal uh, just to let go and enjoy the ride for the I guess the the the, the heavy metal roller coaster that it is, uh, and you know now I'm I'm I've just kind of gone okay well there's Superman he's got 
he's got a dark side arm and uh and batman's dead but he's got a black lantern ring that you know makes him not dead and wonder woman she's running around there with a with a chainsaw of truth and and all of that good stuff and uh, you know all of it makes sense and and all of it matters and just let go and enjoy it so i really enjoyed this issue probably more than i enjoyed any others and you know in that spirit i might actually go back and read death metal from the start if i ever have time um you know i've had my problems with with the one shots and the structure that you know the structure of the series Mm -hmm. because i guess you know what what's important what's critical what's not but i mean greg capullo's Greg Capullo's art in this is just huge. It's just it's it's massive, you know, and it is exactly that. It's just like it's just like a big old, you know, eighties heavy metal Johnny Lawrence power chord. You know what I mean? It's the whole thing is just uh, from start to finish. And there's there's some stuff in there. It's just uh, just exactly what you what you were talking about, Alan. Um, I can't remember which character is talking. Might be Wonder Woman, um, but but just that whole oh, it is Wonder Woman. I think, uh, you know, that whole one universe, I can feel it, all of our history, all the stories, everything we've done, good, bad, all of it, becoming one history, one story, one truth, I can feel it working, you know, it, there's, it doesn't <laughs> it doesn't make a whole heap of a lot of sense, the reasons as to why this is happening, but you can just sort of enjoy it and go, okay, so Scott Snyder is making everything matter in the DC universe, all history is that great, brilliant, so you know, I'm I'm happy as Larry. I'm really looking forward to to issue seven that I that I have in there, but I haven't had a chance to read. You know, the conclusion. Uh, really looking forward to, to to seeing how that finishes, and I'm really looking forward to what happens next. So we've got like Future State, and then we've got was it what do we say Infinite Frontier? Infinite Frontier. Uh, you know, and of course I grabbed the previews book last week, and I thought, okay, so reboot or soft reboot, if that is indeed what it is, this is going to be a this is going to be an opportunity maybe to, to cut a few books, you know, because my pull list is huge and my money isn't infinite like the frontier, um, you know, and I thought, great. So I went in and, of course, I dropped one book and then ordered four new books in DC that I, that I didn't have before. So good job, Keith. You know, Pretty standard, <laughs> so, uh, pretty standard. <laughs> You know, and I see uh, there's there's some books. There's there's at least one book I can't remember off the top of my head what it is that that Snyder's going to be on. And I thought, oh, I can't look past that. You know, despite the fact I'm I'm not necessarily his his biggest fan. Um, I can't even remember what it is off the top of my head. But no, I I I enjoyed this maybe more than I've enjoyed all of the other metal stuff or death metal stuff so far. Mm-hmm. What about yourself, Paddy? How are you enjoying metal? I've really enjoyed it. This is my first proper, you know, event, and yeah, it's been as you guys said, it's a bit of a roller coaster. It's leave your expectations at the door, and you know, leave all sense of reality at the door, and just enjoy it. I think the tie-ins have all been have all been solid. As you said, it's difficult talking about number six having read number seven. Mm-hmm. Uh, I agree with you as well. Number seven definitely for me was the the standout issue, but we'll probably get into that at a later point. But yeah, all in all, the art, there's a couple of pages where I just thought to myself, this would make a fantastic poster. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, it is absolutely brilliant. There's a, a two-page spread where it's just three panels of all-out war. You know, Batman's in one, you have Superman in the second, and then you've got, I think it's Wally West, is it, in the third? But yeah, just, yeah, it, it's been a great series, and I, I'm, I'm kind of sad to, to see it end. Yeah, I mean, it's... Uh... 
either some of the art in it would make great posters or great album covers. That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking. But yeah, I mean, it's death metal's delivering in the end. And as I say, we'll definitely be back to it with number seven because number seven was fantastic as well. So, but that was my pick for the 16th of December releases, and that was Dark Knight's Death Metal number six. So, if that was my choice, what was your choice, Patty? Another DC title. I went for Batman 105. Uh, part four on the conclusion of the Ghost Stories uh, storyline. This is going to be the last issue before uh, taking a break for Future State. And I believe Batman's not back now until March. Uh, last issue ended pretty on uh, a great cliffhanger with Clown Hunter about to kill Harley Quinn. Uh, issue starts with a flashback and you kind of get to see a bit more of the Ghostmaker Bruce relationship. Uh, it explains how they came to their agreement that Batman would stay out of wherever Ghostmaker is and Ghostmaker would stay away from, from Gotham. Uh, then it kind of cuts back to the Arkham Asylum and surprise, surprise, Batman saves Harley Quinn. So unfortunately, we don't get to see her uh, have her head cut off. Uh, what follows then for me was a, an excellent few pages of dialogue and kind of the reason it was my issue of the week. It, I just thought with Harley talking about dealing with the consequences of everything, you know, you can kind of see the the pain that, that she's been through with everything she's done alongside Joker. Uh, and then at kind of end, she says to Clown Hunter, if you want to kill me, you can. I deserve it. And, and you, I, I kind of felt that that was legit. You know, that wasn't her trying to pull a move. That was her saying... I, I've had enough of this. I've had enough of being, being the body. You know, I've took these lives. I think she says as well, like she, she couldn't remember even killing Bao or Clown Hunter's parents. Uh, yeah, then we we have another fight with uh, Bruce and Ghostmaker. For me, it ended quite surprisingly. Uh, I expected not a death because Batman doesn't kill, but I expected that to be the end of end of Ghost Hunter, but uh, he says he's going to leave, and Bruce says, don't leave Gotham, stay, help me make it better. Uh, and then from there, the, the last page I thought was fantastic. For me, it was a bit of a throwback to, you know, the classic image of Batman and Robin running, that only fools and horses, but, you know, done quite a, a spectacular spoof off, and then it's, you know, it's them too, so it's kind of it's left things open, you know. I can't see them working too well together. I think there's there's enough of a past there between them. You know, their their ideologies are quite different. You know, Ghost Hunter has no problem killing somebody, whereas Batman is is very much against it. So yeah, I'm going to miss it during the break. I've picked up the the two Batman future states, but just James Tinian's run on this has been fantastic, absolutely fantastic. Yeah, I mean, 105 has proven to be quite a controversial issue, certainly with regards to people's opinions of it in stores. Some people hate that they literally just turned around and went, oh, we're best friends again. You know, some people hated that, but I personally really liked it because it played against the expectation of what you normally expect. You expect a big battle, Batman to win, Ghostmaker to leave Gotham his tail between his legs, vowing revenge in the future, and then he'd be back at some point. So I kind of liked what they did. I, I thought it was a fresh take on it, I have to say. Initially, I was when I first read it and I put the issue down, I was like, oh, that feels a wee bit cheap. But then the more I thought about it, mm -hmm. I played and like, you know what? Is it cheap or is it a trick? Because as you said, everybody was expecting Batman to win, Clown, or not Clown Hunter, sorry, 
Ghostmaker Leave, uh, pop back in 15 issues time, yeah. have another rerun of that. But I think, you know, the potential of what it sets up is how is he going to get on with the Bat family? How are they going to, you know, react? It's a way more interesting story than the alternative link. Way more interesting yeah. story. Yeah. Yep. That's, uh, you know, I, uh, I, I thought, I mean, so, there, you know, there's a couple of ways that this could have gone, really. You know, Batman beats Ghostmaker, Ghostmaker, having James Tinian having set up this backstory, you know, through the through the flashbacks, you know, created a, a character that you understand and are sort of at least as sympathetic with as Bruce is, you know, is beaten and runs away with his tail between his legs, as you say, or Ghostmaker beats Batman. Now, that's not going to happen based on the the <laughs> what <laughs> the beating that Batman took during Joker War. So, so I mean, this is the alternative. You know what I mean? That. That I mean, I don't think these characters ever didn't have respect for each other. They disagreed with the decisions that they had made, and they disagreed, you know, with the, I guess the their their strategies, you know, and their tactics, you know. But it didn't mean they didn't respect each other. So I think this is fantastic. I think I really enjoyed the Ghostmaker character. So I'm glad to see him. I'm glad to see him around. You know, I really am. And and I think you're exactly right, Paddy. I think how he interacts with Gotham, how he interacts with, with Bruce and with the Bat family is going to be a really interesting story. I think it's clever as well because it gives Bruce Wayne access to money again. You know, I think Ghostmaker's a, a billionaire as well, and you know, Bruce lost his money. Uh, I think the Fox family all have it now, don't they? Yeah, so I love it's, that. It's, <laughs> he said, I'm richer than you, and I don't have a yeah. butler anymore. <laughs> yeah, you know, you know, I'm richer than you are now. Good. That means you're buying dinner after. I don't have a butler anymore. <laughs> I thought that was. That was yeah, nice. even Clown Hunter, you know, it's. What I think James Tinian does very well with, I'm going to say the exception, maybe a punchline, he introduces very, very good characters where they're not really a flash in the pan. You know, they have solid backstories. I know, again, probably getting a bit ahead of ourselves, but the Batman annual goes into Clown Hunter's background. Mm -hmm. You know, for me, a solid character. And I know Alan spoke about this previously, that... He seemed to go under the radar a wee bit, Clown Hunter. You know, his first appearance, I think, was wasn't it the same week as Robin King? Yeah. So Clown Hunter seems to, to have gone under the radar, but I I hope he sticks around. I hope but we we I think he, no, he's not. I'm thinking of Joker. They're doing that's how the punchline stories continuing, isn't it? Mm. Through the yeah the new Joker. But yes, definitely, it's yeah bit of a, a James Tinian love in for me this. This podcast, as you'll see with my, my pick for next week. Yeah, definitely, definitely come round a wee bit more to Harley and uh, and to Clown Hunter. You know, under Tinian's auspices, I've come around a wee bit more to Harley and, and I guess through Tom Taylor and, and uh, Suicide Squad. But and uh, yeah, this and this and Batman Annual 5 have brought me around a wee bit to Clown Hunter. But it's interesting. Have you noticed that whenever he has his helmet off, he talks in block capitals, but whenever he has his helmet on and he's Clown Hunter, he talks in lowercase yeah, I did not notice. I'd always, what noticed, is... I'd always noticed the lower, lowercase one. I think that's just a way of trying to say that he puts on a voice. Essentially, yeah, he's quiet or he's he's, he's talking more quiet. I mean, for me, that that harks back to the Marvel stuff. You know, the Marvel, the Ultimate Marvel stuff, because characters from the Marvel universe yeah. speak in block capitals, whereas characters from from the Ultimate Marvel universe speak in lowercase, mm-hmm. uh, which is really so. Uh, to differentiate them or whatever, but uh, so that's why that's why I noticed. But yeah, really weird. Yeah, fine issue. So it was, and then it's it's aptly followed up uh, again. It might get a mention further down the line. But the Batman annual I thought was very good. That went into Clown Hunter's history and re- 
ridiculously beautifully illustrated by Jim Stogwit was the big thing for me in Batman Annual Five. But but Jeff Tinian's doing great work and he's and he's attracting great artists to work with him as well, which mm. I think is a big thing. You know, they obviously want to work on good storylines. So no, Tinian is uh, Tinian's been a hit very much since he took over at issue eighty six. So cool. So Paddy's pick then of the week, Batman one oh five. And that just leaves us to you, Keith. What was your pick from the sixteenth? Well, speaking of legendary writers attracting legendary artists uh, and, and working on, on fantastic books, my, my pick of the week is one that I think, uh, as Alan mentioned, he and I would have would have fought over um, had I not maybe been in the door a wee bit, a wee bit quicker because I put together a script. <laughs> but uh, it's... Uh, it's it's Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips, uh, um, Jacob Phillips' Reckless, the original image graphic novel uh, that, that came out um, on the 16th of December. And it is, obviously, it it's not the follow-up to Pulp, but it's the next release after Pulp. Uh, and Pulp was absolutely phenomenal. Uh, so this sort of had a lot to, to live up to, but uh, it absolutely, absolutely does it. So... You know, from the start, even the cover it looks like an '80s action movie poster, uh, and this is a this is a book that is set very much in the '80s, and it's it's an '80s that sort of feels a wee bit like a hungover '1970s, mm-hmm. uh, you know, something along those lines. And uh, it follows. We, we're introduced through, you know, obviously through the book and through his inner monologue to uh, to a character called Ethan Reckless, and. He, they've done they've done a very very clever thing here. They they have I think harked back to everybody who enjoys eighties media, eighties TV, because Reckless is effectively, you know, if you're in trouble and if no one else can help and if you can find him, maybe you can hire Ethan Reckless. You know, he's a he's a he's a, a troubleshooter. Uh, you know, he's uh, I guess we meet this guy and. Uh, he, uh, Ethan Reckless is, you know, he's a, a former FBI agent, you know, he's, uh, you know, and, and 10 years ago, he, he, he walked out of the life of his girlfriend, Rainey, uh, and she then, you know, mysteriously walks back into his, they were both part of this, uh, this, uh, extremist hippie movement in the seventies. And there was an explosion that, that ended that. I guess that gang, that cell, and nearly killed Ethan. But in that explosion, you know, he was he acquired a brain injury that means that he no longer feels emotions. Uh, you know, he remembers what it was like to feel emotions and the the emotions that he felt at at, at a time. For example, the uh, the love that he had for Rainey, but now she's back in his life. He can no longer, you know, connect to those emotions and uh, you know in the present day. So, I mean, it, it's you know, obviously, Brubaker and Phillips are best known for Criminal. Uh, you know, and there's there's something to be said here for for this the sort of work that's been done here. You know, as I say, he's a one time undercover FBI agent, feels no emotion. He he knows he lived a, a life of emotions and passions, but you know that ended. And you know he now lives in an old movie house, watching old you know Mitchum pictures. And you know uh, he's been he's been going throughout life, I guess, the past ten years. You know solving problems he has he has the skills you know he has the you know he's like a blunt instrument nearly would you say alan yeah I think that's um right. you know when he, he he solves solves problems in sort of a nearly an 80s action star a team macgyver 
sort of gritty sort of a way, you know. So it was just, it's just absolutely phenomenal. You know, the the book is great. The writing is great. If anything, it maybe could have been trimmed down just a tiny wee bit. Um, but, you know, no no complaints other than, other than that. Philip's art is just fantastically gritty. He, some of the pages are very, you know, some of the panel structures, you know, are very, uh, procedural, you know, and then other things just that it completely breaks out of the, the structure that he's created and and smacks you in the face of the panel. Um, Jacob Phillips, uh, you know, coloring, um, you know, and, and, and Ethan's life, you know, in his day to day, it's very sort of um, monochromish, you know, with wee flashes of color here and there, such as whenever they're on the, you know, him and Rainey are on the acid trip, you, you nearly feel it through the colors, you know, and then, uh, you know, and then whenever we're, we're in the action scenes it really all you know the colors all sort of break out so it was i just i, I maybe didn't love it as much as i love pulp um but it's definitely a similar sort of an exploration of of a man you know of a person um maybe in a different way you know because pulp was very much an exploration of how we age i think and and how we think of ourselves as we age whereas this is a man i guess in his in his prime and you know so it, yeah what did you reckon Alan? Is it maybe more of a case of you preferred pulp because it had cowboys in it? Could could be that, but you know what? I can't, I can't <laughs> no, look at these action stars either. Well, that's true. That's true. I mean, I, I know uh, it's interesting you're saying that you thought it could have been trimmed a bit. I mean, I was I was happy with the length, but you think of pulp, it is a little bit sort of thinner. It is a little bit more focused, perhaps, mm. um, in mm-hmm. terms of page count. But, but I really like this style that they're going for. I mean... Anyone who's listened to this podcast, come in the store or whatever, they know how much I love Brubaker Phillips when they work together. I've been a big advocate of Criminal for a long time. Fatal, Killer Be Killed. My heroes have always been Junkies, Pulp, and then this. And I really like that this is a new format they're going to go with. I'm, I don't want this to be the format for all comics, but I think it suits their work. And that's mm-hmm. going to be three graphic novels per year. Instead of releasing 12 issues and then inevitably doing the you know, the contained graphic novels or the collective graphic novels, I should say. I think it really suits this format because they are very well-worn stories they work within, you know, within the noir genre and all the rest, but it's all about character. And I think you get more of that in thicker books, so to speak. So, but Jeff, same as you, man, I I absolutely adore this. I've been recommending this to everybody who'll listen. It's just, I'm just such a sucker for noir as well. I just love the mysterious girl from the past who has what you know who flits her eyelashes and you have to do something to help her you know the guy who thinks he's nothing to lose the the inevitable person who helps the main character who you know clearly has a thing for him but he'll never look at her in that way flashbacks to war stuff it's yeah i was a big big fan of this and mm-hmm. you know it's just it's a gloriously put together book as well you know lovely hardcover great cover yeah just burning it's stuff a on. It's a story with a few twists as well, you know. Yeah. It definitely is, you know. It's, uh, you know, I felt a wee bit of a, um, you know, I was certainly certainly on my mind was uh, was Memento the movie as well, you know, where you know you had a character who couldn't make memories. This was a character who had no emotions, you know, as a result of an injury, a brain injury, and you know there was a wee bit of taking advantage of there. I think, um, yeah, just just loved it. Really looking forward. To, we've already seen that. Uh, They've released the the solicitation for uh, for a reckless story, uh, friend of the devil, mm-hmm. uh, which is the next one. And I'm really, I mean, these guys, these guys are the elder statesmen, mm-hmm. you know, of 
you know, of, of relatively speaking, not necessarily with regard to their own ages, but, you know, with the work they've done, they're the elder statesmen of, of, of comic creation, you know, so they have earned the right to create their own format and do it the way they want to do it. And I'm really glad that Image is, is respecting that and giving them the option and saying, listen, lads, you go ahead and do what you want, you know, and I've, I've obviously... I've read, I haven't read all of Criminal, but what I have read of Criminal has been in in large chunks, you know, in some of the, the larger hardbacks that you've loaned me. And I, I look forward to finishing that out, Alan. Hint, hint. Um, you know, but uh, so this, this, that maybe has made me comfortable with this format and yeah. with Brubaker and Phillips and Phillips in this format. You know, so, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm behind this. As you say, I wouldn't want all comics to go this way, but these are just, beautiful and i look forward to having them on my bookshelf you know and and that so yeah really really enjoyed it did you read this patty i didn't i like to keep graphics when i can have a, a bit of a small week or if there's you know something yeah i like to treat myself to a graphic rather than maybe pick them up but uh, i'm just seeing it there on your screen and it's it's a big book mm. oh, your yeah, money's a, worth there oh it's a chunky bad boy and it's just brilliantly put together, so it is. But uh, yeah, I I wouldn't hold out for those quiet weeks anytime soon, Paddy. Given that you're on all the Keenan Black tie-ins, and there's 972 of those, so uh, I wouldn't hold out for a quiet no. week. But ten uh, this week, I have ten this week. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, I just uh, I'm just going even looking through the book now, you know, and uh, just what some of the stuff that Ed Brubaker has said about it, you know, and you know it's. It is very much crime fiction, you know, and I love the I love the byline, meet Ethan Reckless. Your trouble is his business for a price. <laughs> yeah, if you're a fan of the eighties, you'll you'll love that stuff. But Yeah, sex, drug and drugs and murder in eighties Los Angeles, you know, so yeah, good stuff. Yeah, good I mean, stuff. They're they're very much the definition of, you know, the coffin here was ethos of follow creators because they always work together and they always just bring out the best of each other. So, you know, they their partnership goes back decades you know and uh there's a lot of trust there and yeah can't recommend enough uh you know when there's i mean i know it's, it seems obvious to say it obviously because jacob phillips is involved with this and is involved with the fantastic one of the co-creators of the fantastic that texas blood but there's there's definitely a thematic you know oh big time similarity here as well you know well, uh, for when, sure that's it when we were chatting to chris and jacob that's why i said like is there any chance that these worlds might intercede mm-hmm. because there's yeah. so many themes and styles that you know you could easily see it sort of crossing over you know yeah um, so yeah cool so that was keith's pick then of the week for the 16th of december which was reckless an original graphic novel from image comics so yeah we'll move away then from the picks of the week and we'll just blast through uh, a few honorable mentions uh, we we have to admit, you know, some of us, myself included, have been wrecking our brains trying to even remember what happened in these <laughs> issues. So uh, I don't think we'll go into oodles of detail on them, but they were certainly uh, titles that made an impression and were worth having a quick chat about. I mean, with DC this week, there was only really one other one that I wanted to throw a bit of love out for, which was Rorschach number three. Uh, Rorschach, of course, being the 12-issue miniseries from Tom Keane on writing duties and Jorge Fornes on art. And it's an interesting one because this is going to be a twelve issue maxi series, and I think it's fair to say that we don't, we still don't even know three issues in what direction this is going in, but it's brilliantly put together every issue, if that makes sense. 
you know issue three it very much focuses on a character that we were introduced to called the kid who was uh, the right hand woman of the new rorschach and it's it's a character that's been radicalized and uh, it, it was all about to see how this person could grow from being an innocent to you know a would-be cold assassin of a presidential candidate so I thought this was a really class issue. Uh, again, it felt very much like a one-shot. I, I still don't know if these guys are, you know, showing us their hand just yet for what direction this is going in. But again, this hits all the right spots for me as someone who likes sort of 70s political thrillers and, and stuff like that. So um, I'm, I'm definitely in it for the long haul, three issues in. Uh, you read this yourself, did you, Keith? Yeah, yeah, I totally agree with you, Alan. It's, uh, it's still a wee bit of a mystery to us. Um, about you know exactly what's going on. I mean, it, it did feel like a one shot, but there's obvious connective tissue, you know, with the investigation that's going on. A mm-hmm. um, lot of flashback in this, as you said, sort of as we learn a wee bit more about uh, Laura, um, you know, who you know, and, and a little bit about that. It feels a wee bit like Mancurian candidate or something, you know. Yeah, um, yeah it's it sort of... it an interesting sort of you know backstory for you know she's pretty much screwed from the beginning and it's all about you know radicalization and you know the effect of who raises you and uh, you know them moving their values onto you and that sort of thing you know does does a kid even have a chance if those mm. you know values are not the right values so to speak you know so. yeah I, I find myself wondering actually how much how important rorschach might be to a book called rorschach mm-hmm. i'm starting to think maybe not terribly yeah well, that's that's it. You always worry sometimes when they throw a name out there that it's just to grab your attention, and then you know they move away and tell the story they actually want to tell. But no, uh, I I'm very much in it for the long haul. So, uh, but I'm sure there's a couple of Marvel things you want to throw a bit of love for, Keith. Yeah, yeah, gonna gonna throw uh, throw uh, into the into the the crucible here. Uh, Darth Vader number eight uh, into the fire part three the A. Um, so this is the Darth Vader series by Greg Pak um, with uh, Raphael Ayenko on, on art doing just fantastic work this is exploring that really nice space between um, you know as to how you know what happened between Empire and, and Return of the Jedi you know Luke has refused, refused Darth Vader's call to the dark side of the force and rage Vader has torn through the galaxy in a quest for vengeance against everyone who hid Luke from him the Emperor has brutally punished Vader for his rebellion he's been broken and stranded on Mustafar which as we know was the planet that Darth Vader was born on and Vader must remember the true way of the Sith you know not using his, his he's, he's had his arms and legs cut off and he's not allowed to use the force um, he's been pursued by an assassin who's hinted at the Emperor's true plans and, uh, you know, Vader's feeling stuff through the Force. So it was just, a, it was a great, uh, a great issue, the trials of, the trials of Vader, you know, as he tries to rebuild himself and, and defeat his enemies, you know, whenever he's at this uh, very, very low ebb. So, you know, they make, they make Vader the hero of this without you make, you know, without you becoming sympathetic to him, you know, it's, it's really, really good. Greg Pak is doing some great work in these, on the Star Wars book, you know, so, yeah, really enjoyed it. Uh, looking forward to seeing what the the last issue of Into the Fire is about. And as I say, this is eight issues in. I highly recommend uh, the Darth Vader series uh, for sure. And then the other one, uh, one we chat about is uh, so Symbiote Spider Man has been has now been through two two mini series, uh, you know, by Peter David and and Greg Land. So this is the third, and this is uh, issue two of uh, Symbiote Spider Man King and Black. 
linked to the you know eponymous uh, miniseries. So this is set generally after Secret Wars. Peter has returned home from the you know the war world, and you know he's got a brand new costume that's been crafted by alien technology. It responds to his thoughts and it shapeshifts, and you know can generate an endless supply of webbing. But he doesn't know yet that it is, of course, the the Venom symbiote that that'll become. You know, so this has been great. Um, you know, Alistair Smythe, who is the the Spider Slayer, has been set back in that in that time, and he's been com- consumed by this mysterious black specter, calling himself Mister E, and it's transformed a whole lot of the other humans in the Ravencroft Institute, which was very very big at that time in Spider Man, including Ned Leeds. Uh, you know, one of these shadow creatures and. Meanwhile, Luetu, the Watcher, he's been captured and probed by the tri- time-traveling Avengers villain Kang, and there's all sorts of stuff going up. Rocket Raccoon has showed up, um, you know, and what I'm really interested in is the fact that the Black Knight has showed up. So the Black Knight was, you know, he's, he's a character who I've always enjoyed in, in Marvel history and the Marvel chronology. Uh, Dane Whitman, the Black Knight, you know, with his Arthurian background, you know, and, and all of that stuff. There was a time you know, in the late 80s, early 90s, where the Black Knight was like, you know, he was the chairman of the Avengers, you know, and all of this stuff. And then he just sort of got forgotten about. So it's great to see him making a comeback, uh, both him and uh, apparently in the next issue, uh, Captain Marvel, not not Captain Marvel decree, but Captain Marvel, uh, the, you know, the the, the the black policewoman who who took on the, the, the moniker of Captain Marvel after, after Marvel died, um, who was... I guess Captain Marvel. Whenever I first got interested in, in comics, she was the Captain Marvel of, of Secret Wars, uh, and is going to be coming, I think, into a bit more uh, of a focus in the Marvel Cinematic Universe in the near future. Um, so, yeah, really enjoyed this. Really enjoying this book. The the inclusion of those characters and and just a guess how they're how they're linking this book, despite the fact it's a wee bit historical into Null and the King and Black stuff. It's it's pretty interesting. So, really enjoying it. Yeah. So Symbiote, Spider-Man, King and Black by, uh, by, by, by Greg Land, Peter David. And given that you're reading all of the tie-ins, Barry, can you even remember anything about this one? I will be completely honest. I remember enjoying it. I didn't overly like issue one, stuck with it, enjoyed issue two, but I turned my house upside down last day trying to find that issue and it was nowhere to be seen. So that's why, yeah, but I, I did remember enjoying it. Yeah, it's it's... It's one of them ones when I was reading, it was just like, I need Keith's thoughts, I need Keith's thoughts. So what mm. I might do is I might suggest like a, anytime I'm reading a Marvel issue, just like a live webcam. <laughs> right, Keith, what's going on? But yeah, no, well, yeah, it's, it's yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm really excited for what's what I know is coming off the back of this, you know, with Cy Spurrier's Black Knight one shot for King and Black, and then I'm launching into the Black Knight Curse of the Ebony Blade uh, series. I'm really looking forward to those. So, yeah, just a couple of wee Marvel ones there, and then obviously just the the one DC we had an honourable mention for, but that's because, as we stated up front, it was very much an indie-heavy week this week, I think, for all of us. So uh, it's no surprise that there's quite a few honourable mentions there as well. Uh, I believe a new Blade Runner one kicked off, Keith, you're reading. What were your thoughts on that? Yeah, Blade Runner 2029, number one. So obviously the last series, which was 12 issues, was Blade Runner 2019, but over that time... You know the twelve issues they covered like eight years, so it didn't make sense to you know keep it as Blade Runner twenty nineteen. So they've they've jumped two years and made it twenty twenty nine. So uh, the 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 protagonist of this is Anna Ash Ashina, who's a a former Blade Runner. Um, who you know she's got this 
I guess this rig on her back that makes up for you know injuries that she's incurred, you know, so she can walk and she has to keep it charged. But she was a blade runner. She was hardcore, and in the last ten years, she has changed her tune a wee bit, um, you know, with regard to replicants and who replicants are, and you know how how human they may or may not be. But in 2027, she has now rejoined the department to hunt down fugitive replicants. But her superiors are sort of unaware that her her loyalties are divided. Uh, so they're really doing a great job of, I guess, exploring the Blade Runner universe and, and adding to the Blade Runner universe in a way that, that, that two movies just can't, you know. So they're, they're filling in that connective material. We're learning a wee bit about the history, you know, how how we got to the position we find ourselves in in the first and first Blade Runner movie, at least, you know, and a wee bit, we've, we've learned a wee bit more about, you know, the, the off world minds, you know, and all that stuff that you heard about, you know, it was, it was alluded to in the movies, but you never saw. So, and, 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 and replicants been used as slave labor and really, yeah, really, really enjoying both. Uh, I mean, it'd be worth picking up, you know, I guess what, what will be the trades or the trade of, of 2019, the 12 issues there and, and getting into this one, really enjoying it. So, uh, Mike Johnson and, and Andre Guinaldo. Uh, yeah. Cool. And then I would probably say uh, winning the award for most surprising release of the year was our next one, which was Solid Blood at number 17. No, you're not hearing things. It's not a case of we just simply missed issues 1 to 16. This was just released out of nowhere. Uh, undoubted keen of the comic industry, Robert Kirkman, a man who clearly loves the industry, loves playing with it, loves surprise releasing things. He put out this cryptic video just a week before saying how this mysterious box had arrived from another dimension to the, the front door of his house and there were all these issues in it that you know him and Ryan Otley had worked on but he doesn't remember working on it and uh, they were just going to be sent out to comic retailers essentially. Uh, the, the way it worked was certainly for retailers just to give you a little bit of an insight is that you were essentially sent the same amount um, equivalent to what your pre-orders were for Firepower each time. So uh, Firepower slash Walking Dead Deluxe. So this was one that, you know, it was, you know, of course, speculators jumped all over it thinking it was going to be really rare. There's tons of these out here. So if it sounds like <laughs> your kind of thing, it's not that difficult to get your hands on, to be honest. But uh, yeah, this was quite an interesting one. It, it You basically jumped into a story, mid-story, not really knowing anything about these characters. I mean, the the way it was sort of sold was like, they are among us, they look like us, they act like us, but they are not us. In ages past, they were worshipped, and others, they were feared, and others still hunted. A gift passed down through the ages, they are descendants of the strongest to ever live. In their veins, it rages, it rages solid blood. This seemed like a love letter to the 90s to me. This seemed really over the top. Uh, in a good way, don't get me wrong, it was a lot of fun. You know, it's the kind of thing like when they're announcing villains in it, for example, you know, there's different font and it's Necromonger and, you know, all this kind of stuff. There's definitely a lot of nods to Images history, I'd say, through this, but it was a lot of fun, but I just genuinely don't know if this is going to go anywhere. You know, they created a fake issue 18, or is it fake? I don't know. Uh, next issue cover... They created a letters page, which was a lot of fun with people talking about events that happened in issue five or issue 12 or, or whatever. But what do we think? Is is this going anywhere? Or is this just Kirkman throwing a random one out into the world? Uh, I I don't know. There's, there are, there is so, there's so much going on here from the front cover, which, you know, could be the front cover of a book that Image released in the 90s, uh, you know, right down to 
you know the the price point and the you know the way the way it's it's formatted to the quality of paper that has been used because the the paper is the same paper as even smells like the same paper that you know the sort of low low I guess the lower quality newsprint paper mm-hmm. uh, that they used to use back in the day you know back in the nineties and you know there's absolutely you know they've just created this illusion that there's this entire you know, there's this last 16 issues and, you know, in the letters page, you know, that we should know who Necromonger is and should be really shocked by his return. And, you know, down to that, we just down to that, we know this is set in an alternative reality because, you know, he goes, OK, so I know we're all still reeling from the death of Swordmaster. This is in the letters page. We are, too. We didn't have room for letters column last issue because of the extra pages. So I wanted to talk a bit about how special Michonne was to me personally. She was a character I've been trying to get into books for a long time. I pitched a book to Image in early 2003 called Dead Planet that she was originally going to appear in. That book didn't get picked up. Then she was going to appear in The Walking Dead, probably around issue 15 or so. But sadly, that book didn't last long. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's, it's, I just love what they've what they've done here. Um, you know, they're referring to news you know about you know the large hadron collider at cern and and all of this sort of stuff i i really enjoyed it you know kirkman says well this is going to be the first creator-owned comic book series that he's done to make issue 25 you know it hasn't happened yet but it's definitely going to happen you know so i just oh, i just loved it it was it was like what would have what would have been if robert kirkman had been writing you know a, a book at the start of image you know whenever ever, the stuff that rob liefeld is talking about in his podcast you know around the Wildcats time, around the Youngblood time. This is this is what Kirkman would have done, you know, and I love seeing Otley's art with, with Kirkman because obviously that just harks me back to Invincible. A lot of the characters look a wee bit like Invincible characters. Or, but yeah, it's totally, it's like, it's almost like uh, like Wildcats. It's like a, like, like a weird, like not quite, but it, 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 it reminds me of Wildcats, you know, back in the days and, and Wetworks back at the start of Image, you know. So yeah, great stuff. Brilliant. Don't don't know what's going on at all. I'd love to see it continue. Yeah, I'm saying I'd like to see them start from issue one. I think it'd be an interesting read. Reading kind of you know say what's this is 17 so 16 issues. Knowing what happens in issue 17, uh, and then continue it on. But no, I think it'll be a it'll be a one off. Uh, I I don't think they'll they'll continue it. But then again, nobody knows what's going through the mind of Robert Kirkman. Uh, wouldn't be surprised if he has. 16 other issues sitting waiting ready to go and he releases them in you know maybe one a month or one every two months in in, in no particular order so you'll probably get issue seven next and then (laughs) issue 34. The interesting thing as well is is you know back you know in, in in sort of the late 80s and the early 90s that's how you collected comics you went into your news agent and they were they were either on the shelf with a pile of other stuff you know with comag stickers on them you know, or they were on the they were on a spinner rack, and you just picked them up. So you, you could you couldn't collect. It was very hard to collect. You know, before Forbidden Planet, you know, before Talisman actually and Wine Tavern Street in Belfast, it was very hard to collect comics issue to issue. So you just sort of picked up from the news rack what you got, and that's what this felt like. You're like, oh, yeah. solid blood. I've never seen that before. Sure, I'll grab that. It's only twenty five p or whatever. You know, so. Uh, so yeah, yeah, used to that's the, that that's what it reminded me of is like just picking up a random issue and going, Jesus, I've missed the first sixteen issues of this, but sure, I'll pitch in and see what the crack is, you know. And then maybe you'd pick up issue twenty one or issue twenty five, you know. <laughs> that's uh, and then you spend the rest of your life trying to find the back issues. Giving away your age, Keith. Well, maybe a wee bit. Speaking of another creator that uh, you know that nobody knows the mind of, 
uh, decorum uh, number the decorum number six by uh, by Jonathan Hickman and uh, and uh, Mike Huddleston. So still still pushing on. This issue really starts to bring things together in decorum. It's uh, maybe issue six, but it's chapter thirteen. Uh, you usually get more than one chapter per per book. Uh, Huddleston's art is fantastic. The variety in it and the different. Uh, just in the different words and the different situations, and uh, but it's really starting to it's really starting to come together. Uh, I think uh, you know we're really starting. I'm really really still enjoying this story. There's still 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 points where it has me going. What 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 is this? What does this let you know? But it wouldn't be a Hickman book if that wasn't the case. Likewise, it wouldn't be a Snyder book if that wasn't the case. You know, but uh, but yeah, I'm really I'm really starting to enjoy this narrative, and it's a book that. I'm kind of looking forward to it finishing, so I can pull it all out and read it again back to back. Um, and but but yeah, it's really it's starting to come together. It's starting to make a make a wee bit of sense. Yeah, as before, I'm just waiting for it all to come out. I refuse to be bamboozled by Hickman on a monthly basis. I'll happily sit and read it all in one go, no problem. I just I've accepted the fact that I'm not quite on his intelligence level, uh, but uh, I'll just read it all in one go when it comes out. Uh, one that I do read month to month though and enjoy the hell out of every time is Once in Future. Uh, another one that again we just bang on and on and on on this uh, pod about. Uh, so we're up to issue 14 now. So Kieran Gillen continuing on writing duties. Dan Mora on art. Tamara Bond villain. Still love that name. Uh, on colours. So with Once in Future 14 now we're starting to get another new story which is The Green Knight I believe. And uh, mm-hmm. it kicks off with a really great action scene just uh, in this bar with all these, you know, angry-looking patrons who, you know, the the Green Knight is turning up to and saying, "Who will play a game with me?" This kind of thing. It leads to some great dialogue, I have to say, because um, the Green Knight's asking, "Who will play a game?" And one of the guys says, "This ain't no bloody game, son." And he says, "Correct. It is a game, most bloody." And uh, then it all leads, of course, to our characters coming into it. So you have Duncan, you have Rose uh, coming into it as well. Uh, yeah, Once in Future just continues every month to be one of the best books in the racks. I am so delighted to see Dan Morris coming over to DC to do Detective Comics. Uh, it just makes uh-huh. me so, so happy because I absolutely adore his art. Uh, I know that a certain person has already read Dark Detective. Yeah, looking at you, Patty. Uh, which Dan Mora was drawing and then he's going to be on Detective full-time after that. So, yeah, just continues to be a wonderful, wonderful series. Just... Uh, you know there's the interesting thing with once in future is that i think it was originally conceived as six issues but karen gillen clearly has a lot of stuff to tell here um we're all on this aren't we yeah i trade read uh trade one and two and jumped on with issue 13 oh it's fantastic it's just such a such a well-told story the granny what's her name bridget bridget oh what a character you get to see a bit of her emotional side, maybe when she's trying to get the information out of the the guy in who's who's lying down. You know, she we could torture him, but she offers him a cigarette and just yeah, just a really really good story. Great characters, absolutely love it. Yeah, I mean they spend a fair bit of they spend a few pages on that scene, and there was there was one you know one thing she says there that you know he's he's obviously he's a the bar they've gone into is a big it's a big uh you know english fascist bar you know english nationalist bar and uh he's he's lying down there having been effectively tried to go up against the green knight 
And uh, she's like, well, that England that England for the English stuff gnawing away at you until it took a bite big enough to leave you bleeding on the floor of the local. You know, <laughs> it was like, mm-hmm. um, but then, you know, we're starting to really see, I mean, Once in the Future is about stories and, and the, these stories and how they, they're shaped by the world and how the world shapes them, you know, and, you know, that's what she says. People like me, people like Rose, people like you, stories don't discriminate. They're maggots. They live by chewing holes through our brains. Uh, you know, it's about making, it's about nearly, you know, with Arthur and Merlin, they're nearly weaponizing these stories. You know, the idea of the, great, the Green Knight and the Arthurian legends and, and Beowulf. And it's almost like, like she, like Bridget, you know, has, is using, is trying to use the stories to, to defend against, you know, those weaponized stories, it's, you know, and, and taking the roles, you know, so we're, we're starting to see more and more of, of what's happened here and what's going on. And uh, I, I really love it. I really love it. And I love that we're starting to find out a wee bit more about what it is and about them taking on these roles. And so good. So good. And another, of course, great one that, that again, I think we're all enjoying is uh, from Mr. Zdarsky and Ramon Perez, which is Stillwater. So we're up now as far as issue four. Um, yeah, this continues to be uh, a great, great series. And the more you're finding out about the town and the more you're finding out about the uh, the people who make the laws and how they got to that point and so forth, there's there's a lot to, de- to delve into here, I think, with this. Yeah, this definitely would have been my pick of the week if it wasn't for Batman. I love the the flashback kind of ex- explained everything as to how we've got to to the the point we're at now. I love the ending when she introduced him to the, the welcome party. So, am I right in thinking that this is a group in modern days, current day Stillwater, who want to bring other people to Stillwater? Yeah, I think. Here. I mean, I think we're 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 about to find out. There's certainly a, a group who are working in in opposition to the judge and yeah. his, you know. So whereas, but the, the judge is about um, keeping things the way they are, maintaining the status quo, keeping keeping people who aren't from Stillwater out of Stillwater, you know. And that's all powered by fear, fear that you know their secret's going to be found out and control because he's, you know, this this power has given him the control, you know, uh, and and that these these people seem to be very much in opposition to that. The doctors there you know and that so i think we're we're, we're going to find out a wee bit more about the the welcome party and i think we're going to see a struggle within the town of, of some kind but i thought the that flashback stuff with uh you know him as a baby you know as a toddler you know growing up has you know not not growing older but growing up you know what i mean so this toddler who's able to who's able to speak and and think you know like a, an adult or like a like a grown up a, a slightly more grown child you know and but not growing any not growing any taller, not growing any bigger, you know, just remaining in this in this toddler's body. It was oh, it's just horrendous. Like it's it's horribly macabre, you know. Yeah, yeah that concept is is just it's horrible. And then just a couple of last minute ones. I know you guys want to throw out there indie wise from the sixteenth. Yeah, post Americana one. What a first issue reminded me quite a lot of Fallout. You know, post-nuclear world absolutely destroyed. You've got mutants. You've got explosions. Uh, Very, very good. Very interested to see where the story goes. Uh, Yeah, it has kind of Hills Have Eyes slash Fallout vibe about it. 
really enjoyed it. Yeah, no, I, I enjoyed it too. I mean, Steve Scross is, uh, you know, formerly a, a well-known, you know, Marvel uh, writer. Uh, you know, so he wrote Cable and X-Man. He, he introduced X-Man into the Marvel Universe and he moved on to Amazing Spider-Man. He worked with Liefeld and Youngblood and he, he penciled, you know, Gambit as well. Uh, you know, sorry, he was, a, he was an artist, not a writer. Um, and he actually was the guy who storyboarded um, The Matrix. He moved out of comics. He storyboarded The Matrix and iRobot and V for Vendetta and a whole lot of stuff. Um, so it's great to see him, you know, re- returning to comics, I guess. This was Mendel. This was absolutely <laughs> Mendel. Um, what did you call the uh, the, the, the superhero? Um, flying Nightmare? Yeah, no, no, no. The 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 bald guy was called was called flying fuck, <laughs> um, and uh, you know, and uh, that was his that was uh, that was his his motto was remember the flying fuck gives. <laughs> you know, so that was absolutely it was crazy. The the basic story, you know, was that some time ago I guess there was a disaster and. A lot of the U.S. elite moved into a bunker. They've been building a war to try and take back the world from uh, those who they left up above, who are clearly the the working men and women who couldn't afford to go into the bunker, you know. And meanwhile, all these people up above are obsessed with comic books and superhero movies to the to the utmost. Uh, there's a resistance within the bunker. Some of them escape uh, out into the the mad mad world that is. And, uh, you know, they meet, uh, you know, some folk from out there. And uh, just it all goes a wee bit. Just a wee bit crazy. Um, it's a it's it's a weird counterpoint actually to undiscovered country. Let's see what it is. Um, very very different way of doing things, but uh, but there's some similarities there, for sure. Yeah, I'll definitely uh, jump into it. I didn't have enough copies the week it came out, and then obviously deliveries were all over the place. But I actually got one sent this week, so I'm gonna jump on number one, give it a go before issue two is due out. So that's Post Americana, and then just one last one uh, from yourself, Keith. Honorable mention wise. Yeah, it's uh, Lazarus Risen number five by Greg Rucka and Michael Lark. So Lazarus Risen is the the quarterly um, big 64-page sort of uh, chunky release that Lazarus has evolved into uh, over the past year. Um, yeah, following, following uh, you know, Forever Carlisle, you know, the and uh, I guess who is the Lazarus of the Carlisle family. You know, to put it into context, the world, you know, it's a near future world, uh, dystopian, divided amongst, not amongst uh, political or geographical lines now, but divided amongst, you know, along financial ones where wealth is power and power rests only in the hands of a few families. They provide, the few who provide service to the families are called serfs and they're cared for and protected and everyone else, the you and I of, of the, the world is, is waste, uh, you know, so the families are sort of at war. And provision was made in the accords that each family family could name a champion who was, you know, created by their technological or or, or uh, chemical or cybernetic or martial power. And that that individual is called the Lazarus of the families. Families don't like to share. So Carlyle forever is the, is the Lazarus of the Carlyle family. You know, she's discovered that uh, she is the seventh in a line of genetically engineered human weapons designed to serve her family rather than the daughter and sister she thought she was. There's a lot of uh, political machinations, you know, between Joanna, who's Forever's sister and the current head of the family, and Bethany, who's the family's Lazarus program's leader, director, you know, and, and 
Yeah, it's just it's absolutely fantastic stuff. I think Greg Rucka maybe struggled a wee bit with the format and the first three or four issues, but I think he's really he's really hit it now. You know, um, he's really hit the nail on the head. And we start off with uh, Forever. We'll call her Seven, I guess. Our Forever Carlisle meeting Eight, who's the next iteration, who's who's only fourteen years old and is 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 undergoing training. So, you know, there's there's definitely a wee bit of resistance against what the family's doing here. Um, you know, forever as the as the commander of the Lazarus forces, they're talking about uh, moving in and taking out taking out the D'Souza forces and putting together teams. And uh, it's a real, yeah, it was a real fantastic, real fantastic issue about just just following both Forever Seven and Forever Eight uh, and 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 what's happening there. So it's yeah, just there's there's too much really to go into in a very very short review. But uh, this is Lazarus is just one of the best books on the racks. You know, consistently has been. You know, throughout. Lazarus, you know, the original series and then Lazarus X plus 66, which was the mini series that bridged, you know, the end of the original series. I think that was 32 issues and then into this issue or this format, which is Lazarus Risen, um, you know, and Greg Rock at the back goes into, you know, his Greg, as you know, was a big, big left leaning, uh, you know, a guy. He was in the middle of a lot of the, the, the Portland riots and stuff that happened, you know, so there's there's he he looks at. I guess science and technology and politics and how they're evolving and you know in, in terms of what's happening now with politics and technology and what's happening in Lazarus you know in the near future and he goes into what this, what he's reading at the minute there's some uh, there's some material in there for the word of Lazarus uh, role playing game from Green Room and Publishing so there's a lot a lot going on you know uh, it's a really great reader really I really enjoy uh, getting it you know every every quarter um, it can sometimes be a wee bit difficult to pick up where the story dropped off last quarter because there's such a such a, a a breath of time you know but uh, it really is i mean it's beautiful beautiful chunky chunky book you know and uh, lazarus is just great stuff yeah lazarus is really great i tend to jump on it and trade wise so i do so uh you were kind enough to lend me the hard covers i just sailed through those so mm. um yeah lazarus is a great one to pick up from the beginning if you're looking something a little different so, yeah i mean it's a it's a, i guess it's we we, all, we often talk about world building alan and mm -hmm. i think lazarus is just the the absolute epitome of that you know yeah definitely one of the best cool so that is going to do it then for our 16th of december releases so we're going to take a quick break and then we'll be back with the 23rd and we're back then now with our picks for the 23rd of december so same format again as always we'll uh, go through the amount of titles we all had on our pull list from that week we'll break it down into dc marvel indie do our picks of the week and then go through the honorable mentions as well so uh with this week i had a total of 24 titles so this was the last release week uh just before christmas so 24 titles for myself that includes 8 dc i had seven marvel and nine indie i have to say that's a remarkably level split uh between the three uh what about yourself patty how goes your level split uh same as last week, 15 titles, 1 DC, 3 Marvel, and 11 Indie. I may have cheated and added in all the, the variants of uh, Department of Truth. So, although there's only a cover A and a cover B, I think. So. Yeah, you wish there was only a cover A and a cover B, Mr. 1 to 10, 1 to 25, and anything else you can get your hands on. <laughs> once again yeah. once again the joys of you know developing a relationship with your local comic book exactly. store i mean i have 
like eight graded Department of Truth issues in my house for you to pick up whenever, you know? I've seen that. They look beautiful. <laughs> and how about yourself, Keith? What was your split for the 23rd? Uh, so me, once again, I'm sitting two less than you, Alan. I've got 22 titles in total. Uh, six of them DC, six of them Marvel, and ten of them Indy. I'm just convinced that I just add two just to wind you up at this point to be honest with you but uh wouldn't yeah. surprise me one bit wouldn't um, surprise me one bit yeah i'm saying nothing uh, but yeah so those were the breakdowns so yeah we go on to the uh the titles of the week then so unsurprisingly for me it's a dc title unsurprisingly for me as i was chatting before about death metal getting really strong towards the end my pick is dark knights death metal the secret origin number one so this is basically slated to be the second last death metal one shot. There is going to be one more after this, which again, because we're a little bit behind, I have already read and it was also pretty excellent. Uh, worth it just for the Rob Gilroy drawn Matthew Rosenberg written Constantine story. But Oof. what we have with the secret origin. So this is uh, a co-written effort by Jeff Johns and Scott Snyder. So, this one you've got quite a few different artists on it. So you've actually four main artists on this one, which usually sets alarm bells ringing, but it actually works really, really well in the context of the book. Uh, so you've got Jerry Ordway, so very classic artist. You've got Francis Manipal, Ran Benjamin, and Paul Pelletier. A little shout out as well for an absolutely great cover by Ivan Rice as well of Superboy Prime fighting the Darkest Night. So. The reason I picked this one now, Superboy Prime is not a character I have any sort of attachment to. Superman in general, not really my bag. I'm all about the Batman, as anybody who knows me knows. But one of the biggest developments from Death Metal was definitely a formidable supervillain as known as Superboy Prime. He decides to join forces with the heroes and confront the Darkest Knights. Now, this is just alluded to very quickly in the main series, but... It was a development that deserved its own spin-off, and boy, does this deliver. You know, it's definitely more of a character study kind of issue, um, and this team basically manages to do it justice. You know, it's it's a character that's always run the, the gauntlet almost between aspiring superhero and petulant supervillain, but it also tugs at the emotional heartstrings quite a bit in this one. I mean, there's it's all about, like, Superboy Prime basically basically wrestling with the fact of can i be a hero have i done too many bad things in my life you know what's worth fighting for for being a hero that kind of thing so the issue itself it picks up directly after the events of death metal 6 timing was perfect uh after the heroes battle against the armies of the dark multiverse and they've actually earned like a brief break in the fight while the darkest knight now stands on challenge you know in dark and metal 6 he's defeated per perpetua you know he's basically standing with no challenges and superboy prime basically has to decide whether he's going to go and fight the darkest knight and whether he's going to stand on the side of the good guy so to speak you know um so the 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 issue is based around you know the clark kent of earth prime who's recalling his own history you know first of all on a planet that was consumed by crisis on infinite earths and then his you know his following descent into villainy during infinite crisis so again it's all about whether he's a figure worthy of redemption or whether he's just making another violent impulsive decision in a long line of them just to fight for the sake of fighting you know it's it's a really poignant issue so it is and you know superboy prime is probably one of those characters people have you know looked at as being a one-note villain you know, so the fact that you're actually able to get this amount of emotional depth is pretty incredible. I mean, the 
it's no surprise that Stephen messaged me when you get this great moment in it that sort of shows the humanity almost behind Superboy Prime's eyes. But uh, suffice to say, it's got a lot to do with a doggo and a lot to do with uh, crypto, uh, which is just an absolutely brilliant uh, <laughs> moment in the uh, in the issue. But uh, as I say, you know, there's there's four art teams here and. That usually, is, as I said before, it sets alarm bells ringing for me. It's to do with either an issue being rushed or it's to do with you know, someone falling behind so they put in a, uh, a stand-in artist. But what they actually do is they, they each draw four different sort of time frames, so to speak. So you've got Jerry Ordway who does the sequences set on Earth Prime and they're very timeless looking. They're very much like your four-color comic book sort of style. Then you've got Francis Manipul, who does sort of the quieter moments that are set in the present before Prime launches himself in the battle against the Darkest Night. Then you've got Ran Benjamin, uh, who does the opening parts of the battle between Superboy Prime and the Darkest Night. And then you finish off with Paul Pelletier, who does the visuals for, you know, as the fight escalates and the stakes that uh, become clear through it as well. They all bring their absolute best work to the fore and it just fits together really really seamlessly and then it actually is bookended then with that jerry ordway artwork uh there's also nods to tons of great uh great dc moments i mean there's an absolutely amazing homage double page spread to the death of superman but done with a canine twist shall we say and it's just an absolutely remarkable piece of work Again, this was this was a series that or, or one shot, sorry, that I was not massively looking forward to, but it very quickly jumped to the, probably the top three of all the metal tie-ins. The same way that um, the last stories of the DC universe did for me, because it focused on emotion, it focused on characters, it focused on looking at what characters would do in the end when they were actually challenged with their own mortality or a challenge that they might not actually come out alive from, and that's where I find the best stories, you know, come out of it um it was it was just an absolute brilliant issue i mean i I know that i've always chatted with you keith and tried to sort of guide you with ones that i would call essential and so forth while this isn't essential story-wise because you know ultimately you know death metal 7 is still to come so if the darkest night is going to be defeated it's going to be in the main series it would need to be it would need to be (laughs) it's an absolutely wonderful character study issue and it's you know it's no secret as well that jeff johns is on writing duties that title the secret origin that has a lot of you know a lot of emotional weight and carries a lot of weight in the dc universe as well so for me this was yeah top three i mean when it comes to the metal tie-ins this last story is a dc universe and um i thought speed metal was definitely up there as well actually Mm, definitely yeah um but this was this was superb. As a Superman fan, I can't recommend it enough to you, Keith. I'll I'll happily throw you my copy to give it a wee give it a wee read. Um I should maybe try and get it to you before issue seven just so you can fit the timeline nicely. But <laughs> uh I know that obviously Keith wasn't on this, he sort of picked picked and chose his tie ins. You were on this one, Patty? Yeah, I went for, for all the death metal tie ins. Uh yeah, I was I enjoyed this issue. I didn't know about an awful lot about Superman Prime. Or Superboy Prime, sorry. So I probably, if I reread it now, kind of knowing a bit more about the character that you've explained, uh, I think I would probably enjoy it a bit more. I was a bit thrown off by the ending with him reading the comic. What was that? Yeah, so that was essentially the Earth Prime of him reading this great story about this, you know, character who stood up. It was essentially his way. It was essentially like a little nod 
to to that life it's you know it's like a mirror universe sort of style um so that's why they're able to sort of put it into the comic book um version of it so it was just a really meta way of looking at it i mean you even look at the the first uh, page in 1984 which was actually the year of crisis on infinite earths you know you've got all those different comic books and so forth there because in crisis all these characters didn't know that other multiverses exist so to speak but that's essentially what these stories were stories from other earths so to speak so uh yeah it's just a really meta way of of looking at those stories and yeah i just i just adored it i really really did um just really emotional really action-packed i mean the fight sequence between superboy prime and the darkest knight is brilliant as you know the darkest knight's trying to bargain with them and saying look we could rule together come on you're clearly a bad guy you don't care about these people you know all that kind of stuff but although superboy prime is traditionally a supervillain at his core he shares dna essentially with superman there's always going to be an inherent goodness in there somewhere no matter how deep down it's buried so uh yeah just brilliant brilliant stuff so it was again to go back to the point metal is finishing so strongly and you know we we have a group chat in the store that obviously you guys are part of and you know we we've been talking quite a bit in it in the last week or two about you know what what's better metal or death metal if you'd have asked me four issues ago including tie-ins the first metal would have been far ahead but death metal is ending so so strongly and has got me so excited and energized for where the dc universe is now going and then you see those solicitations and what's coming in march after future state it's a really really exciting time i think to be Mm. a dc fan so and and more than what's coming the creators that are coming with them oh i think i think that that's the draw with those books is the creators yeah 100 percent. i think that's a that's a very very good point because i think even if there's certain characters you're not sure of again if you follow the creators i think you'll you'll probably find something that you'll enjoy so yeah so that is my pick of the week for the 23rd so that is i know keith loves it when i read out these full titles dark knight's death melt the secret origin number one there we go. that's not the worst that's not the worst <laughs> it's quite it's a relatively <laughs> short serene one actually so yeah, that is uh, my choice. What about yourself, Paddy? What have you got for the twenty third? I went for James Tinian's "Something Is Killing the Children." Thirteen. Uh, yeah, th- this is a series as well. To kind of speaking earlier, Alan, you sometimes feel like you're you're picking the same titles over and over and over again. But for me, this the, the series just gets better and better. Uh, we finally get to see the the House of Slaughter in action. Uh, and my God, are they brutal. Uh, absolutely no holes barred. They kind of come into the town with the intention of absolutely wiping out not just the monsters, but the residents of the town. They you know, they need to keep this a secret. Uh, I think the, the term they use is full containment, means we can be as bloody as we want to be. Uh, so nobody's safe. Women, children, monsters. Scorched uh, earth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's the that's I guess that's the uh, that's the, the more military term, isn't it? Scorched <laughs> Earth. <laughs> but yeah, so what happens is they come in. You know, they need to take out the whole town to keep it a secret. The town is the majority of the town. It looks like is trapped in the the school gymnasium. Uh, Erica decides to kind of go against uh, her her house of slaughter. She decides that. You know, she can do this on her own. So she takes the, the two kids, Ben and James, takes them back to 
the house from, I believe, issue one when they were talking about the ghost stories. Mm, where it all uh, started. Yeah. Yep. F- full circle in, I think, for, for issue 14 it'll be. And at the meantime, everybody's kind of trapped in the school gymnasium. They, they drive a car through the, the house of slaughter, drive a car through the uh, the fire doors and then kind of say, right, everybody in the circle, if you want to make it out of this alive, you, you need to huddle up in a tight bundle. Obviously, their intention then is just to, to go in and take off a few heads and, you know, wipe out this town and, and then move on. Uh, but yeah, the, 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 I kind of said this before about James Tinney and the go from, you know, the, the range of titles, the man's writing is absolutely outstanding. His work, you know, Batman last week, Something's Killing the Children this week, uh, Department of Truth as well as this week, another excellent issue. It's just, just gets better and better. So I went with, yep, Department of, sorry, something is, Department of Truth. Something is Killing the Children. Department of Truth from the Mind. <laughs> I just find so it yeah, hilarious that, my, that I just find it hilarious you're basically starting to sound about Tinian the way I do about Tom Taylor. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just he's gone from he's gone from Batman 105 last week's pick by James Tinian to this week's pick by James Tinian. Yeah, and just wait, we just wait until we get to his honourable mentions by James Tinian. James Tinian. Uh, again, I, I mean, I think we've been told that that's a name we're pronouncing wrongly. But uh, uh-huh. although I did notice when you were we're doing the interview yeah. with Rodney Barnes, when he went to pronounce. James Tinian's name. He said, you know, James Tinian, Titanian, you know, so even his, his friend is jumbling <laughs> up the words. The best, the um, best no, part I, of I, that interview is actually not in it, where we always ask creators, what would you like us to call you? Should we call you Rodney, Mr. Barnes? And he was like, you can call me whatever you want. And I was like, that's a wide open phase right there. We shall, uh, <laughs> I will, we'll just go with Rodney. He was like, no, no, I'm on your time. And I'm on your time. You call me whatever you want. Um, th- there are certain <laughs> things I can think of I wouldn't want you to call me, but you know, go with whatever. <laughs> so, uh... Yeah, lovely, lovely guy. Great, great to chat to. You. Great fun. Whenever this started, I wasn't expecting thirteen issues later still to be in Arrow's peak. You know, I wasn't expecting that yeah. the you know the the story would still be in the same place. I thought we would we would expand it out a wee bit more. We'd be we wouldn't still be hunting the same monster. But it's not. You know, it's not that I don't appreciate it because what it's doing is it's keeping it all in the same area, but it's really expanding, you know, the the, the character base and the people around uh, Erica. You know, we're learning more about the House of Slaughter and the Order of St. George, uh, you know, and the, or, or the old dragon, you know, and all of that sort of stuff, you know, and, and some of the flashbacks or the, or the flash sideways, uh, you know, and that sort of stuff. And I think it is kind of poetic that, you know, we're, we've now come back around and as you say, Patty, we're, we're you know, they've, they've had the track back to the house, you know, where it all started, the ravine where the, the kids were first killed, you know, um, and all of that. And it's bringing back, uh, what did you call the, the boy child? Bean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, you're, you know, he's, they're coming back around to where, where it all started. Sorry, but James. James, James the, yeah. yeah. Bean's the, the wee girl, but um, coming back to where it all started and, um, and in that in that time within that circle, Erica has met a lot of people in Aro's Peak, and you know has come to appreciate them as, or at least know them a little bit as people and understand. And you know, I wonder in the first issue would would Erica's would Erica, Erica would have been th- would she have been thinking a wee bit more like how the House of Slaughter and yeah. the rest of them are, you know? So I think that's that's interesting. Uh, she always 
she always was a wee bit of a rebel, you know, from the start. But I'm really interested, you know, and and you know the masks that they wear, and when they wear them, and why they wear them, and the the colours and the you know it's it's really interesting stuff. There's I think they know. wear them because they can see the monsters when they're wearing them. But there was one when one of them died, and one of our, our co-workers pick it up and say, "I'm keeping this." Yeah, yeah, yeah. they did. Yeah, that was. Your guy that went out at the end of the last issue and got torn apart by the monsters that it was was coming round. Yeah. Aaron was it? It's coming round to to yeah, Erica's way of thinking. But I mean, any idea on how long this has got left? No, he said just always said it was an ongoing. Um, it was it was another one of those series that launched with six issues, and then based on how successful it was, that it, they then decided whether it would continue, and. Because even if you go back to the early solicitations, it used to say something's killing the children, number one, brackets of six. Mm-hmm. Uh, Once in Future is the other one that comes to mind for that, that time frame. But mm-hmm. as far as I know, Tinian has said this is going to go on for a while. And as you, as you stated before, I mean, as soon as they leave that town, you know, you've got so much scope to work with there. You know, different mm-hmm. factions all over the world, how this affects other countries, all that kind of stuff. So there's, there's tons of places it could definitely go. So, but uh, I think you were getting the name of the the kid confused there, Patty, with another Tinian title, uh, Batman. Uh, <laughs> I... <laughs> um, I also liked at the end of this uh, series, you know, at the end of this episode, issue we, you know, she puts down the uh, the octopus, the stuffed octopus, and uh, and says, right, let them see what you look like, and it's this thing that looks like some sort of Cthulhu demon angel flower yeah. plant thing, you know, it's. Uh, yeah, it's good stuff. You know, she goes, look, I don't want any of your crap. You know how bad it's gotten and what we need to get this done. And he's the, the octopus is like, I know. She goes, good. Now show the children your real face. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to find out a little bit about that. So again, it's just, it's just expanding that world a wee bit, expanding our knowledge, you know, letting us in a wee bit more into the, you know, the, the world behind the world that we know, you know, it's, it's really cool. Really cool stuff. Good choice, Patty. Thank you. Cool. So something is killing the children. Number thirteen for Patty. And how about yourself, Keith? It looks like we're going to have a an even split here. DC for me, indie for Patty. And your choice is. Oh, I've got a Marvel. I've got a Marvel chapter two fall, which is issue two of King in Black. So where you know you picked the title that's called Death Metal. I picked the the most metal title of the year, no doubt about it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah which is you know Donny Cates and Ryan Stegman's King in Black. You know this was described. You know, whenever it was released, is exactly that. You know, no holds barred. You know, uh, just an absolute, you know, dark rock fucking Cthulhu Lovecraft explosion, and it's exactly that. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what to think. You know, from at the end of this, the end of the first book, I was like, okay, this is this is something. But this picked up. You know, obviously, um, the last issue of Venom, thirty-two seconds, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, you know, the amount of time that it took uh, Eddie Brock to fall off the side of a building that he was tossed off by Null after the symbiote had been ripped off his body. Uh, so, you know, this issue starts with that uh, crash landing and the, you know, multiple stories below and, you know, Spider-Man attempting to come along and see what's left of Eddie's broken body. Um, this is just, from start to finish, this is just wild. I mean, it's it starts with it starts with what looks like the death of Eddie Brock. 
you get Spider-Man coming along, you always know Spider-Man's in trouble whenever his mask has been ripped and he's only got the, <laughs> you know, he's only got the eyes left in his mask, you know, you know the upper the upper part of his face is is, is masked in the lower part, and and Eddie is just in bits, you know, and always going, what do I have to tell you? And we've got we've got nullified uh, X-Men and Captain America and and the thing, you know, so we've got. A selection of nullified heroes here who you know are, are becoming null's army and you're going there's the human torch apparently sacrificing himself with a nova flame and this is all like within the first four pages <laughs> you know so it's absolutely not a love the scene they take you know spidey takes eddie brock you know back to the, the home base and laboratory of the fantastic four and they they have them hooked up the machines and there's one of my one of my my guilty pleasures, one of my favorite favorite heroes right now, Valkyrie, uh, Jane Foster, Valkyrie, and Jane Foster has the power to uh, she has the power to tell how near to a person a person is to death, and she sees it by seeing these balls, these big black balls above their head that have a skull in them, and the one above Eddie's head fills the entire room, you know. So that's sort of a if you know it, you know it sort of thing, you know. So I know that Valkyrie can see death. People who read. Who've read, you know, Jane Foster Valkyrie can know that, and and just seeing this big, this big skull above Eddie's head, you're like, uh oh, you know. So, I guess just, it's just, it's just so great, I'm, you know. I'm so glad you pointed that out because I read the latest issue of Thor, and there was something in it that I didn't understand. Uh huh. And now it just makes perfect That's sense. It. Okay, perfect. Good. I'm glad to hear. You know, we've got you know every, we're we're at we're at complete action stations here. Teams have been torn apart. The Avengers have been torn apart. The X Men have been torn apart. Reed is trying to work on something to try and save Eddie. You know, and uh, they're 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 you know Blade is is reaching out to Magneto and and Professor X and they you know Krakoa, based on what's happened in the first issue, have closed their borders and they're not you know they're not willing to help. And it's just I don't know how it got so bad inside one issue. And I mean, based on the fact that this, you know, King and Black is what? How many issues? Five, is it? I, just, I don't know where else there is to go. Because they've already eliminated half of the Marvel Universe. <laughs> you know, and uh, Neymar's coming in there and he's he'll be coming in. His his entrance into King and Black was chronicled in the King and Black Neymar series, which is set many, many years ago. It's set back in the, the 40s, I think, you know, and, uh, and, and so we're seeing the links to King and Black back there. Um, you know, and and then, you know, we have Neymar going to try and find some friends, you know, some some help, you know, and Blade is trying to, you know, Blade's in the Ukraine trying to locate, I guess, he's, he's trying to re- recruit Dracula. Uh, Kingpin is in the bar with no name trying to recruit the villains, you know, it's, it's real action stations here. Meanwhile, Tony has gone off the face of Dragon. He needs a sliver of Dragon symbiote to try and combine it with his extremis armor, you know, so we're going back to the to the extremis days, you know, the nanotech armor, and he's trying to incorporate a symbiote into his armor in order to try and save Eddie, and and then Dylan comes around, oh, that's a whole, you know, and Dylan reveals his power to his control over symbiotes. So we're bringing together a whole lot of things here, and uh, of course the end is just uh, is a bit of a shock uh, as well, so I'm just, oh, man, this is just uh, you know, earlier on I talked about death metal being a bit of a roller coaster, just letting go and and enjoying it. But this, you know, letting go of that idea of continuity. But this is just an absolute 
this is a this is a, a pure fucking rock concert like never mind a power chord this is this is incredible stuff it really is i mean donny kate's you know you you would swear he's going to over promise one of these days but he hasn't he hasn't you know this is this is this is phenomenal you know some of the some of the tie-ins have been have been pretty cool as well but it, it's it's all right here in this in this first two issues of the series well, i agree 100 percent well i'd be curious to know what your thoughts are on keenan black namor because it's coming in for a lot of hate from a lot of people as being really really pointless and very not sort of linked to it in name only i mean it's one of the the tie-ins that you're on keith because obviously namor is a character you enjoy i mean what yeah. have you been getting from it so far uh so I can see why you might think that it's not connected, but I think if you don't think it's connected, you're maybe not paying attention. Uh, so the the second issue, very the first issue is about introducing the Swift Tide, you know. So we're looking at a young Namor, uh, a young Dorma, and a young Atuma. Uh, and you know, before Namor becomes king of Atlantis, he was the prince of Atlantis, um, you know. And so this has this has them joining the Swift Tide, who are an elite Atlantean force, you know, as they, they go in search of a mysterious object. The mysterious object is in the position of of Gravenoff's uh, uh, father and Baron Mordo and a whole lot of uh, the the Thule Society, who are the Nazi, you know, the Nazi uh, secret society that was all about the Spear of Destiny and all those artifacts, you know, during World War Two that you know where they thought they could they could win the the Thule Society, I guess, was was. You would know from uh, from Indiana Jones and the uh, and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. That was the Fool Society, you know, after the the Lost Ark. So they've discovered this uh, artifact, and that artifact is clearly linked to uh, the planet of the symbiotes and uh, a null. And I think what happens at the end of at the end of uh, Namor number two, you know, without spoiling too much, is the Swift Tide become the Black Tide as they are possessed by by the evil of whatever that that thing is so so the, i think by the end of namor you'll you'll certainly i'm already seeing the links um you know and and i think namor appearing here that's the significance of that i think i think in this issue namor goes goes underground underwater to atlantis and i think that he is going to find the black tide who are going to help him against null or whatever so so that's the link there. That to me, that seems obvious after having read King and Black two and, and Namor two, um, or maybe I'm just making it up as a goal. Though. <laughs> yeah, it's just it seems to be that Namor is the uh, the one that people are beating the rod for in terms of in terms of it not really being linked that much. If you know what I mean, it's like I've had at least three or four different people sort of say like should i continue in this will i continue in this that kind of thing and it just seems to be it seems to be the easy target for it i was just curious because i haven't read any of them i've i've been collecting all of the tie-ins because i i want to have like the big sort of box of all of them but i actually haven't read any of them yet so i was just curious to get your uh, yeah. your thoughts on it yeah well, i agree with are. what keith said I, there's definitely a link there but for me i just wasn't interested in the characters i kind of found myself an issue too flicking through the pages without finish reading them and then i i dropped neymar's the only one so far that uh, I've dropped from the King and Black Times. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I don't know how critical it would be, but but looking at that, uh, you know, looking at that that um, issue two uh, of King and Black, you know, Namor's at the bottom of the Mariana Trench. Trent Trench. They've all gone off to look for, you know, to look for allies, you know, and uh, 
We've got, uh, I think it's Stark or the Black Panther and, and Namor's ear going, one, Namor is going to go to wake up some of his old buddies that he didn't uh, that he didn't know I knew about. What are they called again? The Black Tide. Uh, I didn't tell you because they may have, uh, they have been cursed by ancient Atlantean magic, Anthony, and once they awake, they will be held to banish again. Uh, you know, and uh, Tony says, and we'll fight that war uh, when we get to it. You and your Atlantean soldiers just aren't going to cut it here. So that's that's exactly why that's exactly why Namor, King and Black, yeah. exists to to tell the story behind who the Black Tide are. So there you are. See, I just really look forward to the point when King and Black is completely over, and Patty stayed on everything, and then goes. Crap! I'm missing three issues out of like ninety-two. I really need those three issues because that's how, how many issues. How many tie-ins are there in total? I'm genuinely losing count, and they're announcing new ones as we go. I, I've counted sixty plus. Now, I I find it really interesting to compare metal to uh, Keenan Black in a way because with metal, I kind of have found a lot of the tie-ins to be essential. I, uh, there's only been yeah. one so far that I've read. That I thought I really wish I hadn't paid for that. Whereas the general consensus I'm getting from a lot of people with uh, the Keenan Black ones is the main title is kick ass and the rest of it just don't measure up to it. So it's just interesting to compare the two. Uh, so it is. But, you know, I at the moment I'm getting everything I want from the main Keenan Black series because it's class. It's really, As you really should. Strong. As you should. But I you know. But at the same time, I've thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed all the metal tie-ins. So it's, I don't know, there's there's no right way to do it, I suppose, um, one way or another. But it's just interesting getting the feedback from people, you know, on and what they prefer the two. Because I would probably argue that the Keenan Black solo series titles, the main title series, are the first two issues are definitely stronger than the first two issues of Death Metal. But I haven't heard of any tie-in that would be anywhere near as good as them you know what i mean it's, no, I, I, I would agree that the metal tie-ins i thought were yeah pretty essential whereas the king and black one so far that there hasn't been one where i went you, you can kind of see it's almost like right we'll do an issue on this and then we'll drop in one wee line of dialogue that it'll possibly set up something in the king of black main series well sure was there i not, i think that's what you're doing was there not one that you had found that they hadn't even updated it <laughs> yeah, the yeah, yeah, yeah. Two, it says about the the invasion during Empire rather than King and Black, and you're the star. Yeah, yeah. No, that said, I mean, I really enjoyed the first issue of Union. Yeah, it was brilliant. Yeah, now, you know what? So... Yeah, the, 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 yeah. Mainly for the characters, though, rather than the tie into the story in King and Black. Well, of course, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, and that's to me, that's the way you have to do it. The main series has to be the be all and end all. And, you know, the, the adjoining series add a wee bit of value or add a wee bit of story, you know, rather than being things you yeah. have to buy and you're missing half of the story without it. Said it before, I'll say it again. You know, that's the way to do a miniseries, the way to do a limited series. Yeah, but don't do 65 tie-ins. Yeah, agreed. Absolutely agreed. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. You know, yep. it's like Absolute Carnage, I think, was around 30-something and it felt about right because I read quite a few of those tie-ins and enjoyed them. Maybe it's just a case of because the Keenan Black one, there's so much, you lose interest. You know, it's almost like your interest is spread too thin. That's always my or, worry when you do too many of them, you know. Or are you just by the ones you want? Well, that's true. But as you well know, Mr. Miller, us comic collecting folk are OCD in nature. Um, but I'm just I'm just going to show you something quickly. And uh, obviously this is a, an audio medium, so I'm, I'll, I'll explain it as best I can. But... If ever there was a way to annoy people who lived in Northern Ireland, 
we got this variant in this week. I'll be putting them on the website later for the Union number two. And it's oh. focusing on Snakes, who's the character from Northern Ireland. Uh, above the title of the Union, it says, For Queen and Country. So that'll, that'll annoy half of Northern Ireland straight away. But mm-hmm. if you actually look here, you can see the map of Northern Ireland. No way. <laughs> and then if you look at the bottom here, you can see the Giants Causeway, the Titanic Museum, City Hall, and uh, you can also see Samson Goliath. Hold me over a copy of that, Alan, will you? Uh, absolutely. That's, that's, that's a pretty cool cover. <laughs> I'm just curious how many times Northern Ireland has been in the front cover of a Marvel comic book. Yeah, I, yeah, I, would, uh, I, I would like there a copy was, of that as well. Yeah. There was an issue of Web of Spider-Man when he came to Belfast. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Oh, there's a Punisher issue as well, isn't there? Is there a Punisher that issue with Frank Castle and Belfast as well? But that's uh, <laughs> that was that was Garth Ennis like. So yeah, understandable enough. So uh, yeah, I just I just thought it was a really funny cover. So I did. Um, but yeah, just putting for Queen and Country above the Union, but the Union <laughs> logos in green. I thought, oh, it's a bit tough. It's a bit tough. Anyway, we went off on about five different tangents there, but. Regardless of uh, tie-in situation or whatever you're reading, read the main series of Keenan Black because the first two issues have been awesome. Issue three, I believe, is due. We're recording this on Wednesday, 13th. I believe issue three is due on the 20th, so due next week. Although I shouldn't commit to that before I send my invoice. Mm -hmm. Anyway, uh, so yeah, that's going to do it in terms of our picks of the week then. So we'll jump on to a few honorable mentions then. So same again, it's an interesting one here we have. Just a couple of DC, just a couple of Marvel, and then a whole rake of indie ones. So kick things off with the honorable mentions for DC. Just one I wanted to bring a, a bit of love to, and I think that it's a title that a lot of people are actually starting to show a renewed interest in, is Detective Comics. Now, this was the last issue before Future State hits. This was Detective Comics 1033. Now, Pete J. Tomasi's been writing Detective Comics for a while. Brad Walker's been the artist on it. I jumped back on Detective Comics myself at 1000. I, I, I know this is going to sound like sacrilege to you, Patty, but the Tinian stuff didn't do a lot for me in Detective Comics. Um, I understand a load of people loved it. It just wasn't for me. But I jumped back on at 1000. There was a big celebratory issue, and then the Arkham Knight was coming in, and I'm a big fan of Pete Tomasi. He did some great stuff with Batman and Robin especially. He really established Damian Wayne as a brilliant character. Uh, and it was Pete J. Tomasi and who was it on art? It was Patrick Gleason uh, on art long before he was selling Spider-Man covers. So <laughs> this is Pete Tomasi's sort of goodbye because Detective Comics is going to be coming back with 1034 and it's going to be Mariko Tamaki writing the main story. The best news for Detective 1034 is Dan Mora from Once in Future is going to be on art. And then it's actually going to have a backup story in it as well, which is Joshua Williamson, which is going to be in, um, focusing on Damien, I believe. But this last issue, 1033, I thought was great. It was a real sort of exploration of the bond between father and son, the relationship between father and son when they're trying to be superheroes. Um, you know, Because at the end of the day, Robin is Batman's partner that he has to depend on on the field, but then he's got those feelings of him as his son You know that he's looking out for. And it also brought in one of my favorite villains, which is Hush, someone who just doesn't get uh, enough enough game time, I think, so to speak, in, uh, in Batman comics. But yeah, Detective Comics has been very much, even though it's the, 
the series that introduced Batman, it's almost seen as like its lesser brother. Like we have maybe 45 to 50 people on Batman. We have maybe 20 on Detective Comics. So it just doesn't seem to be as well revered. But the Detective Comics stuff recently has been superb. I'd highly recommend going back even trade-wise and reading some of this Tomasi stuff because it's been absolutely brilliant. There's one splash page where it actually shows Bruce and Damien sort of jumping through the air because they're going to save the rest of the Bat family who have been uh, kidnapped by Hush. And in the background of them jumping down is all these big pivotal moments in Bruce and Damien's relationship. So you have like their first meeting, you have where he saved Damien out of a burning building, you have where he was there when Damien died, you, it shows you where he's, he's taken Damien to Apocalypse to bring him back to life. And it's just this great dialogue the whole way down it, so it goes, we're in the air, father and son, together again, our trials and tribulations, nature versus nurture, our battles, ethics and morals, life and death, going to the ends of the earth and beyond for my boy. All now in the rearview mirror as I enjoy this moment. Then it hits me. Family. The centre of all things in my life by blood or adoption. Mentoring or friendship. Just really brilliantly written. And again, it's just it seems to fly under the radar all the time. Because no one else, certainly in my, my close circle, shall I say, no one else reads Detective Comics. So I have no one to talk to about it. So can you guys please jump on Detective Comics? I have requested it to be added to my pool in March. I have also uh, added Detective Comics to my pool in March. <laughs> there we go. Whew, job done. Uh, but yeah, uh, if, if you ever come across like the trades cheap or you fancy just a really good story, this Hush storyline especially has been brilliant because it's been set against the background of a major falling out between uh, Bruce and Damien, where Damien basically renounces even being Robin. It's it's really class stuff. So Tomasi just knows the 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 bad universe inside and out. So yeah, Detective Ten Thirty Three just thought it deserved a little bit of love. Uh, mm-hmm. Speaking of long running comics in the DC universe, you wanted to throw a bit of love out for Action Comics, Keith. Speaking of long running comics in the universe and the uh, the end of a the end of an era, uh, the end of a creative team. Uh, that's what is going on in Action Comics 1028. Um, I just, I just loved this issue. Um, it was the the House of Kent chapter seven. Brian Michael Bendis and John Romita Jr.'s last uh, last hurrah to uh, to Superman. Uh, you know, went to Action Comics. Love. I mean, I, I I can't say enough about John Romita Jr.'s art. I love John Romita Jr.'s art, and uh, and I love Brian Michael Bendis's uh, writing. He's got a really great take on Superman. He's had it for how many years now? Since he, since he came on to DC, it's three or four years. Pretty much. I don't think it's as long as I had to think. Bendis maybe came on board maybe two years ago. He took over at Detect or at Action 1000. So it was always a monthly series. So yeah, about two, two and a half years. Two years, yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. So this is great. I mean, this is this is a this is an issue, you know, where you, you know a creative team is leaving behind a book and they're leaving it a certain way for the next creative team. That things are status quo is set back to roughly the way it was, but with some changes. And they can pick it up as they go along. So, so the first couple of pages are brilliant, Alan, because they link straight back to uh, Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen, Matt Fraction's book. Oh, uh, that's a good thing. Exactly. So, you know how uh, you know how uh, how Jimmy Olsen finished with uh, Jimmy Olsen effectively in possession of half of Lex Luthor's money. Uh, so, given what has happened at the Daily Planet recently, uh, Jimmy buys it. And uh, you know, in order to save it, he doesn't want to change it. And you know, Perry's sitting there just with looking straight at the wall, and <laughs> Superman and Lois are like Perry, and the, the whole team are around. You know, going, should we call his 
And Perry just turns around and goes, how? How is Jimmy Olsen the boss of me? <laughs> you know, so, uh, and, 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 and uh, Superman turns around and goes, Jimmy? And he goes, well, Mr. Kent, you, you know how I once told you all my ancestors and Lex Luthor's ancestors are like the same ancestors? No. Well, I did. Uh, no, you did not. Okay, so long story short. <laughs> he explains, Jimmy Olsen explains the entire 12 issue series. Going back, like, way back, half the Lex Luthor family fortune is actually the Olsen family fortune. I didn't even really totally know there was an Olsen family fortune, so we worked it out. Halfsies. <laughs> That's it. You don't even need so, to read Superman's pal, Jimmy Olsen, then. <laughs> so, so it's great, you know, and at one stage, uh, you know, Jimmy's going, well, I would like me own cubicle. You know, and at one stage, Jimmy leans forward and says to, uh, says with his phone towards Perry, and he goes, full creative control. And uh, Perry says, Lois is right. If you own the place, you don't have to ask for it. And Jimmy goes, no. I'm giving you and only you full creative control. <laughs> <laughs> and then he snapped the picture, you know, of his of his face. But that's just that's just part of it. So that's the new status quo at the uh, at the the Daily Planet. And you know, the other change of status quo is of course everybody knows that Clark Kent and Superman are the same. You know, so that's cool. There's he really he really places Connor Kent, you know, Superboy in a well, a superboy in a place of of, of in a position. So, you know, that the and um, Mr. Terrific are, are trying to figure out what the problem is with Connor Kent, whether he's a clone, what's going on. He's left at the small at the Kent farm, you know, and you know Superman's parents and the dog remember him, you know, and and all of that. And then there's a lovely vignette where uh, where John and uh, where John and Clark go and be superheroes together, you know, Superman and Son, uh, and uh, you know they they hang out with Damien and Batman and they. They lift a, a school bus and, and replace the wheel and do, do all those superhero-y things, you know, rescue cats from trees. And and then, uh, you know, he goes to say goodbye to his mother before he goes back to the to the, the, the League of uh, Superheroes, you know, back in, back in the future and, and all of that stuff. And uh, it just ends with uh, uh, Lois and Clark's desks in the Daily Planet have been a big part of this. You know, they've started certain issues and whatnot, but... Just uh, this is Ben. This is goodbye, you know. And Jun- John Romero Jr.'s goodbye. So there's all these, all these wee sticky notes up. Going, uh, you know, uh, thank Dan for the ride. The next team, good luck. Thank every single person who worked in this past, present, future. Thank all the fans, especially super fans with <laughs> with themed websites. You know, all of this sort of stuff. Just just wee notes that Ben this has written to himself in Clark Kent's, uh, mm-hmm. you know, in Clark Kent's kiosk. So yeah, lovely. Just really, really, uh, really good. Really, well, that links back to early on in, the, in action comics, doesn't it? Because wasn't there always, wasn't the first page always like a computer screen or a exactly. board or and exactly we talk about like open cases or sightings or you know things that were happening in other books, things like that. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. makes total so, sense. So that's the other the, the one wee thing that it says. Uh, there's a wee, there's a wee sign up uh, saying uh, thanks to Fraction's awesome ending. He's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, completely disregard our comment about not needing to read Superman's pal, Jimmy Olsen. It is fantastic. Yeah, really, really good. Really, really good. 12-issue mini. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's it. That's that's Ben. This is goodbye, I suppose, for now to Superman. It is kind of interesting because I remember when we first opened, every DC comic had that big, I think it was an Ivan Rice picture, and it used to say, Ben, this is coming, because it was mm-hmm. such a big deal that they, quote-unquote, poached You know, Marvel's guy. You know, Ben, this was of marvel for two decades mm-hmm. but it's interesting because in the last week or so i've been uploading new stock to the website and some of those are sort of older issues from five years ago 10 years ago 15 whatever 
but I came across ones that were maybe about 2014 and I was flicking through some of them and there was a big massive advert and the advert was Romita is coming and it was a picture yeah. of Superman. So clearly they, they still use Big Blue to, to, to get the talent across. So. Oh, I mean, he's, you know, absolutely. I mean, he's, he's, he's up there, you know, for sure. And, and of course, the next creative team I'm really excited about, which is Philip Kennedy Johnson from The Last God, you know, and, and a few other bits and pieces. But The Last God is definitely, I think, the standout there. And Phil Hester uh, going on Superman. So yeah, uh, excited for that. And then Bendis is going over to Justice League, I believe. Yeah, absolutely. I was ready to drop Justice League. I have to say, I was ready to just uh, to quit Justice League, and then I thought, ah, uh, no, I'm going to have to stick with that. See how you see how Bendis can handle the talking heads this time around. Damn, following all those creators mm-hmm. gets you every time. So, uh, yeah, so just a couple of honourable mentions there then for DC for the 23rd of December. So we'll move then swiftly on to Marvel. First one's one I wanted to throw out certainly a bit of love for. Uh, you know, it's well documented my lateness in coming to Conan, just like my lateness coming to Cobra Kai. I really just need to listen to Keith more. But I'm Invincible. And Invincible, which I'm still about 40 issues into now. I think I'm about two-thirds of the way through that uh, compendium you lent me. But I uh, wanted to bring up Conan because there was a 50 years of Conan celebra- celebratory issue uh, called Keen Size Conan. So this was a, uh, a one-shot, 64-pager, I believe. And this was uh, an anthology, and I know that you're not usually a huge fan of anthologies, Keith, but I thought this really, really hit the spot. Oh, I loved it. I loved it. (laughs) Yeah, you had uh, essentially five different tales, and what I really liked was in in the inside pages where they're laying out the details of the story, they put it under sort of five different facets of Conan's personality. So the first story was about the barbarian. The second story was about the thief. The third one was about the mercenary. The fourth was the Avenger. Very well played. And mm-hmm. the fourth one was the Corsair. So, you know, you had talent on this from, you know, Roy Thomas. Of course, you have to have Roy Thomas in there. Kurt Busset, Chris Claremont, Kevin Eastman, and Stephen DeKnight uh, doing all of the writing duties. Then you also had Jesus Says, uh, Kevin Eastman also drawing his Roberto De La Toro, uh, Pete Woods, and Steve McNiven. And, of course, a little beautiful cover as well by Andrew Robinson, which was pretty stunning as well. But, yeah, just this was a heck of a lot of fun. Um, The one story that might rub some people up the wrong way is the Kevin Eastman one. I do think he has a very acquired taste when it comes to art. Agreed. I personally didn't mind it. Uh, If it had been the whole issue drawn like that, I might have struggled. But just having a wee vignette on Conan in that art style, it didn't bother me so much. But the rest of them, oh my goodness, some of the most beautiful art of this year was in this book. Uh, McNiven's first story, uh, The Barbarian, Aftermath and a Beginning. I mean, it just starts off with this full splash page of Conan battle scarred, holding the sword in a fallen enemy, a, you know, a city on fire essentially behind him. Just that great classic Conan imagery. Uh, just yeah really fantastic book the whole way through and a real credit to what they can do with anthology stuff I thoroughly enjoyed that Ship of the Damned one actually at the end as well the Stephen DeKnight one uh, with Jesus Says on uh, on Art Duties just yeah thoroughly loved it you were mm. obviously similarly entranced back Keith yeah I absolutely agree with you um, you know the I enjoyed the, the Kevin Eastman story but the art sort of put me off but the you know, that first story, you know, the aftermath and the beginning, the Battle of uh, Venarium uh, was just fantastic. So visceral, uh, which is exactly what Conan needs to be, you know, and then, and even the, you know, 
Steve McNiven's art sort of nearly cast back to maybe like nearly those sort of whenever whenever Conan was coming out originally and the Prince Valiant comics were coming out, it definitely cast back to that. Um, you know, and that McNiven story uh, was or that um, Roy Thomas story actually was the prequel to story in the original Marvel Conan back in the 70s that Roy Thomas wrote. So it was a prequel story that, you know, started sort of uh, right in the middle there. You know, there's a, a bit of a, a Lovecrafty Cthulhu sort of a story there, you know. Um, and uh, yeah, so I just I thought there was just some great stories. That story about the, you know, Conan kills the warrior woman and then her daughter, you know, is seeking Conan's death, you know, but, you know, uh, doesn't live to see it, you know. It's really fantastic stuff. And that the art in that last story there, um, can't remember who was who did you say wrote the last uh, story? Jesus says. Yeah, no, that was that was absolutely fantastic. So yeah, really, really enjoyed it. Um uh, we're looking forward to Jason Aaron and Mahmoud Azrar coming back on King Conan. Uh, you know, set further into the future than any Conan lore ever has been. So and of course Jason Aaron was he started this book off with Mahmoud Azrar, so it'd be great seeing them back. And I just think it's interesting because you know, Jason Aaron's last work on Thor was King Thor. Is his last work on Conan going to be King Conan? Yeah, or... That really confused me for a while because a regular got in touch with me to say, can you add King Conan to my pull list? And I went, that came out ages ago. And I went, no, uh-huh. no, it's a new upcoming one. I was like, no, no, it came out ages ago. It was a four-issue miniseries. It was really, really good. Then I pulled up the image and went, no, no, wait, that was King Thor. Ignore me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I really enjoyed this one. Really enjoyed it. Not Did my... you say not? Yeah, not normally a big fan of uh, those sorts of those sorts of books, but this one really did it. Yeah. Well, I thought this was a really good example of one for a novice as well. You know, even if you haven't been on Conan and you're looking not necessarily a starting point, but you want to get a sense of what the character is and what the character's about, then that's what these anthologies are very good for as well. I would say. Um, but yeah, a couple other Marvel ones you want to throw a bit of love out for? Uh, I was a wee bit, uh, I was a wee bit cutting about uh, John Walker, U.S. agent, after the first issue. I didn't quite, didn't quite get it. Didn't quite get where it was going. You know, um, uh, right, written by Priest and uh, pencils by uh, Georges Chante. But you know, U.S. agent follows the fiercely patriotic John Walker, Walker who was once the uh, the replacement for Captain America. Uh, he's got superhuman strength, agility, and endurance, and a shield, and he once used it to. And American values as Captain America. Now he is U.S. agent, you know, and he's, you know, the, the story. I guess it, it, it was a bit twisty, but tongue in cheek. Um, it's called American Zealot, and it it, it finally struck me, um, you know, exactly what it's about. It's you know, we talked about it a wee bit earlier that he's you know John Walker in this book. He's he's the white trash superhero. He's you know he's. That's exactly what this book, and I just, I just couldn't get a handle on it in the first issue, and now I've found the words that I need to describe it, and I've got a handle on what this book is. You know, he's got, he's got family problems. You know, a, a deadbeat dad, a sister that doesn't want to see him. <laughs> you know, he's, he's working in the, in the, the arsehole of America. You know, and uh, I just, <laughs> you know, he's, yeah, he's just not quite there but uh, uh, yeah now you've got a handle on it i, I mean I, I thought it was going to be dropping this book but i think i'm going to stick with it because uh yeah that's all i have to say about that yeah i went as far as one issue and then i just stepped away but i did enjoy your story of uh how you figure quote figured out that he was essentially the white trash superhero oh yeah 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 it was uh yeah 
one of Bruna's relatives uh, over over New Year's, and he's a French guy, and he's sort of interested in what I was reading, and I just described it to him, and that's what he said. He goes, oh, so white trash superhero. <laughs> and I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> the penny drops. You know, so quite the opposite uh, of the white trash superhero is Dr. Doom and, uh, and Christopher Cantwell's Dr. and Salvador Larocca's Dr. Doom number 10. So this has been uh, this has been a phenomenal story, and this is this is the end. This is the, the end of this this story. Uh, so this has been a ten issue uh, miniseries. Cantwell is on Iron Man, and he was in Doctor Doom. So he, as he has said already, is the go to guy for armor wearing superheroes and supervillains in the Marvel universe. Uh, but this was just a great a great story, just a real personal story with a with real uh, universal consequences. You know about uh, I guess it's. It's the the path that Doom could have taken, maybe, you know, uh, you know, because Doom very much, you know, he he's sometimes villain, sometimes hero, uh, you know, and and it's it's the the, the path he, the path he could have taken, you know. So, yeah, really, really well worth reading. If you haven't read any of this, I'd highly recommend picking it up, you know, and trade. I'm sure it'll it'll probably be. Will it be coming out as the full ten issues or? I would imagine so. I, I you'd like to think so rather than splitting it down into although. With Marvel, I suppose they they do tend to. I mean, Always an Invader came out as a full run. Uh, it came out last week in hardcover. So yeah, hopefully they'll fire this all together in one go. Yeah, sweet. And then you know, blast for me on Marvel uh, is Excalibur number uh, number sixteen uh, by Tina Howard. So I guess what we've got sort of coming out, you know, Tina Howard and, and Marcus Marcus Two is the artist, but all of the X books are coming out the back end of X of Swords. You know what I mean? So after Araku's assault on Other World and you know all of that sort of stuff, so that it was a great series. I really enjoyed it, but I'm really glad now to see all the books out the other end. And and having come out the other end, they seem to have really discovered themselves. They seem to have really solidified what they're doing within the X universe. You know, so you know, and Excalibur has really fallen on the uh, as it should do because Excalibur always was that sort of the book, certainly on the the more magic, mystical side, you know, Otherworld and Merlin and all of that sort of stuff. So he's currently composed of Rogue and Gambit and Jubilee, Richter, uh, you know, and, you know, the, there's a few others sort of in there scattered around. But, but yeah, this is just, a, and they've lost, they've lost Captain Britain, um, who is, uh, uh, God, what did you call her? Um, Betsy Braddock. Uh, you know, so they've lost Captain Britain. She she apparently died during, or was quite died, disappeared during the X of Swords. So they're sort of mourning her, and while they're mourning her, they sort of start thinking about how to get her back. You know, so they go on a mission back to Otherworld, and 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 Captain Avalon, the man who used to be Captain Britain, Brian Braddock, and they meet him and his wife Megan. You know, their their brother is is the, the Lord of the King of Otherworld. You know, so it, it's all kind of mystical, and it's linked to the mutants, and it's really. I think it's really found its feet, is what I want to say. It's really found its its feet as the, uh, I guess, as the the magical mutant book, and um, you know, that's what Excalibur always was. It was sort of marginally Excalibur was the, the British mutant team, you know, uh, and while they're not necessarily UK based, as such, there's that Captain Britain link, and there's that whole link to other world and Camelot and all that good stuff. So, yeah, really enjoying it. Cool, so Excalibur 16, the last of the honourable mentions then for Marvel. At this point, Keith and I are just going to take a back seat. It's time now for Paddy's Love In for James Tinian's latest. 
Take it away on your, quote, <laughs> honorable mention, which is really your pick of the week. Department of Truth number four. Yeah, uh, uh, I didn't like this issue at all. No, I'm joking. Uh, yeah, another strong issue. Maybe not as strong as issue three was, uh, but still uh, another issue that kind of just gets you thinking the whole way. Kind of focuses on a conversation going on between two reporters who are being drip-fed information by the mysterious Black Hat. Uh, some conspiracy theories, kind of including Obama being born in Kenya, uh, you know, Epstein's mentioned, the Clintons, kind of everybody's mentioned. These reporters are sentenced to, to death, really. You know, Cole decides they're Lee Harvey Oswald, who it was great to see back on this issue, uh, basically tells them that if, if you want to investigate Starman, here's a gun. Go empty them two boys next door and he follows through in the orders uh, or we think he does it's kind of off screen as you hear bang bang you see lee harvey oswald's reaction but yeah uh, again you know i could speak in hours about this series just uh, it's brilliant the art for me just gets better and better every issue some of them two page spreads are are absolutely phenomenal you know when they're talking through the conspiracies and you know, especially the middle one with you've got JFK there at the top. Uh, yeah, absolutely loved it. Another great issue. Yeah, I mean, it was. I, I thought it was fantastic as well. For me, obviously, you know, your man is getting inducted deeper and deeper into the Department of Truth. He's now committed murder for them, and although he's in tears while he's doing it, he feels it's the right thing. You know, so there's there's something going on there. But I mean, for me, what it was was what this was about was about the idea that conspiracy theorists can take any given story and make it a part of their conspiracy. You know what I mean? Which is exactly how that fucking mental QAnon nonsense has come about. You know what I mean? They've taken three or four or five or six or ten or twelve. This is why you, you know, picked this book, isn't it, Paddy? Yeah. Yeah, just to trigger me. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but, you know, it's that it's that that idea that, that any any story or any conspiracy can can become part of the yeah. same story to make this big mega conspiracy that has yeah you can essentially twist anything yeah exactly and that you know so so here they've joined you know they've joined obama to jfk to jeffrey epstein to uh you know all of these different bits and pieces you know to to make it a, a, a like a, a mega conspiracy so i mean that's really what they're talking about really isn't it that's that's you know you know so I thought initially that this was a wee bit disparate from the other, you know, the previous issues, but it's not at all. It joins up nicely. Speaking of joining up nicely, to, now you should be able to prove this theory, Paddy, given that you buy 10 copies of it every single time. But if you overlay page one, then you get page two and three on a set on a second issue, and then page four, that'll lead. That's all one big room. So it is. I and see. does it? It does, does it does it make a secret message? Does it give you a secret message <laughs> if you read it backwards from Q who is telling you that? The only reason I know that is because Martin Simmons shared his process on Twitter. But see the way if you look on page one here, so you'll see like camera off like you then turn mm -hmm, the page, mm -hmm. that continues it. So if you actually were to lay out three issues, it would be one large big wall of screens that uh Lee Harvey is looking at. 
It was Martin Simmons shared his process on Twitter. I just thought that was something really cool. And if anybody could prove that it works, it would be you, Paddy, given the share. I will recreate it when I get home. I have no doubt. I have <laughs> Send no us doubt. a picture. <laughs> Send us four pictures that all link up together, please. Uh, yeah, so Department of Truth number four gets its customary shout out. Uh, another title that was consistently good again was Scarentude number three, uh, which was pretty damn great as well. This is another one that you kicked things off with, Paddy, yeah? Yeah, strong, good issue, but for me, maybe not as good as issue one and two. Uh, it goes in in a bit more detail to uh, the meltdown that I kind of mentioned previously from the main character. Uh, but yeah, I don't know what what I didn't what I didn't feel about it. It kind of felt we were missing a lot. You know, it, 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 they they jumped drastically. You know, all of a sudden, everybody's kind of against uh, the main character whose name absolutely escapes me. Never worry. But yeah, everybody seems seems against him, and then it, it kind of goes back and explains why what's happened. He's become completely kind of deranged and obsessed by this creature that that's hunting his house. And then at the end, we get the we get the big reveal. Uh, next month, I believe issue four is the last issue. But I've seen uh, Nick Roach talking on. Social media said if it's popular enough, they have ideas for more stories. So, yeah, I'm looking to see, see, looking forward to seeing how it concludes and possibly sets up uh, another story arc. Is it going to be the same characters, maybe different ones? But uh, I can't see it being that strong of a book without Flino, if I'm honest. <laughs> Just maybe that's what the spin-off series are. There we go. I can't believe we couldn't remember the main character's name. It's like one of the most Irish names in the world, Cormac. Cormac. Yeah, you think I'd remember that, but yeah, the big reveal was pretty sweet at the end. I have to say, when it was like, "Oh, you're the big boy," uh, I got real Ghostbustery vibes off that. You know, the the ghost and the library yeah. at the start, that kind of thing. But yeah, it's just mm-hmm. it's it's a really cool book for me, and that it just balances horror, comedy. Um, there's plenty of drama in there with you know being a single parent and all that kind of stuff, and really original. There's not another book I can really compare it to in terms of tone and you know overall sort of storyline as well. You know, so yeah, really, really digging Scarentude. I have to say. Yeah, I mean, I uh, Patty, you were good enough to lend me your first two issues, which have now gone back to Alan uh, oh. for for redistribution to your good self. And, all the uh, pressure falls on me now to get them back. To yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so. So they're, they're, they're clear of me. They're, they were safe when they left my hands. Just like uh, all the pressure's on you, Roddy, if you're listening, to get uh, Keith Stendhal bottle back to him, yeah? <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I read issue three. I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed the tone of it. You know, it's a wee bit tongue-in-cheek, a wee bit dangerous as well. You know, there's, there was a wee bit of threat, this issue, that, you know, there's been a rising threat throughout it, you know, that the first one seemed really comical and, you know... But by the third one, you were starting to feel a wee bit of, like, if the character's under threat for something supernatural, then his sanity is under threat. Yeah. You know, and there's something going on there that's just, you know, so yeah, it's very, uh, just bridges that gap, that, that wee magic place between the real world and the not quite real world. Uh, you know, so it was very, very, very good, very enjoyable. I'm glad you, glad you gave us to read it. Yeah, I really did. I really did. Yeah, I think it's fair to say we're still enjoying Undiscovered Country as well as it hurtles towards the end of its second story arc. The world of Undiscovered Country is definitely getting more and more detail, far more depth to it. You know, seeing sort of behind the scenes of these different utopian 
sort of zones of America they keep finding themselves in are are protagonists. And uh, in this one, they're being very much given a choice of whether to sort of live a lie or to pursue further into America to try and discover the truth at the center. You know, they, they set up a really interesting format at the start of this when they showed you the map and the different zones and you just knew, just like the Crystal Maze, you were going to go into every single zone before you get to the end of this book. <laughs> and that's one of the things I really find interesting. I think the imagination in this book is awesome. Yeah, I mean, I really, I think it, I think it's, it's phenomenal. And, you know, we're, we're, I guess by the end of issue 12, we'll have left Unity behind. Yeah. Uh, you know, so from that, you can maybe extrapolate how long the book's going to be, you I, know. I think uh, they always said it was going to be sort of 30 issues. But they could keep it longer than that. But thirty was the minimum to tell the but, story uh, they wanted to tell. You know, it just it goes to show you that you know, you know, destiny. The destiny man he thinks his world is a utopia, his weird Mad Max, weird mutant, you know, world, and and we're you know the unity with with the you know the computer control and everything, and the computer being powered by by the brains of kids, you know, and and all that. So. Every, everything well i haven't seen the light side yet of of of, of destiny of the first mm-hmm. you know that was just that was just a horrible dystopia you know unity had a certainly seemed to have a bright side but in the end it was as dark nearly as, yeah. as the first zone you know so you know what's that what's that saying about america you know that you know even the Take the floor keith what is it saying about america uh, you know i don't know is it is it is it is it, is it saying there's there's nothing, nothing good about it that doesn't come at a price, or I don't know. I was going to say is that, that they're all rotten to the core, but you know. Well, I don't know. They've just impeached Trump for a second time, so. <laughs> there's some good. There's some good on the surface there, so. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, really enjoyable, and uh, I mean, obviously, we are hopefully going to see all the zones, but I wonder which of the characters are going to make it in the last one because, you know, I don't know if it's going to be all of them. Yeah, you definitely get that feeling that there will be casualties along the way. So, but yeah, it's it's consistently a great book, I think, and it's also one of those ones that I just know when I get to the end of it, I'm gonna to want to read it all. Um, so yeah, so that was Undiscovered Country number eleven, and then I believe you've just a couple to finish off with, then Keith, in terms of indie ones. Yeah. Anybody else on Dune House of Treaties? Nope. I am reading it, but I could not tell you the first thing about issue three. Oh yeah. Okay. So, uh, yeah. I mean, it, it just it continues to. It's a prequel to to the book, I guess, to the movie. Whenever it eventually appears in what format, um, you know. So there's a lot of uh, a lot of political machinations going on, you know, on on Gaidi Prime with the Harkonnens and uh, and the young uh, young um, uh, Baron Atreides, you know, uh, before he becomes that. Uh, just it's, it's just expanding the world beautifully you know it's things that were mentioned in the book are being fully realized backgrounds that you you didn't realize where the case are being are being realized and and on on arrakis itself um you know the the planetologist uh keens is uh makes his first discovery of the fremen which who are very important characters uh, both both keens and the fremen are, are very important characters and in, in June in the book and uh, we see the still suits for the first time and uh, and all of that sort of stuff so so yeah I mean it probably I'm really enjoying it it probably you probably get a wee bit more value out of it if you if you've read the book or if you're familiar with, with June um, but uh, I'm, I'm really enjoying it it's Kevin J. Anderson and, and Brian Herbert um, are you know collaborators on uh, Brian Herbert is uh, is the original Frank Herbert's son 
uh, you know, and the, the illustrations by Dave uh, Pramanik are absolutely gorgeous. So it's a good looking book as well. Um, and it, it's it's good quality. It's a nice cardstock cover from Boom. Um, so yeah, really enjoying that book. Um, but I'd say maybe you get more value out of it if you know if you know you know June. Um, with regard to my next title, which is also a property by Boom, a license by Boom, uh, Firefly Blue Sun Rising number one. So this is the end of the Blue Sun Rising story arc in the Firefly comic book. And uh, maybe maybe you get more out of it if you if you know Firefly. But I mean, I've been saying since the start. Firefly, Greg Pak has just been pulling out the voices of, of the characters from the TV show. Just really, he, he knows them, he can he can speak them, he can speak their language, he knows the universe, and he's doing a great job of, of expanding the mythos, you know. Um, not just with the characters we have, but adding new characters that you're kind of going, oh, just, that person wasn't in the, in the series, but I care about them, you know. So, um. Blue Sun Rising, Mark, you know, Malcolm Reynolds, he's the former captain of, of the Serenity and he's now the sheriff of the Georgia Space Sector. And he's facing his greatest enemy, which is himself. Uh, the Blue Sun Corporation, who were always very mysterious in the series, have developed a series of robotic law enforcement officers that are modeled after the likeness and behavior of Mal himself. And in order to stop Blue Sun's new toys from taking over the entire sector and galaxy, Mal leads a full-out assault uh, on their bunker with his former crew and, uh, and and former partner, Boss Moon, and Blue Sun Tech Manhatta and his own cantankerous mother, Ma Reynolds. Uh, you know, and though sort of Manhatta and Ma, they sustain injuries throughout the battle and the mad plan works, the crew managed to shut down the robots, you know, and almost without harming everybody because they were worrying about shutting down the robots and also shutting down other blue sun technology throughout the verse, you know, life support technology and all, you know. So, uh, but just as they think they got a clean getaway, blue sun pulls one out of the pulls one out of the sleeve, and Serenity loses power and uh, and and flight. So, uh, so yeah, this is a lovely this is a lovely finish. Uh, the next arc, uh, this is the end of the current arc. I think this book is continuing. I think Firefly, although this is a one shot that finishes off the arc, I think the main story in Firefly is continuing. And then in March, they're launching a six-issue series called Firefly Brand New Verse. Isn't that right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. But this is, I like that it's brand new apro- apostrophe verse. Obviously, she's oh, yeah. the universe. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, uh, really enjoying I've been enjoying Firefly from the start. Greg Pack has been doing great work on it. And then one last one to finish off with, which is, strictly speaking, not a. it wasn't a diamond release. It is something that we backed as a store as well, and we actually have copies of this coming. But uh, it, it managed to make its way into private citizens' hands first. <laughs> what <laughs> is the last one, then, Keith? Well, this was a this was a crowdfunder. This was a Christmas crowdfunder uh, by. Uh, and who Stephen says Lee. Keith doesn't like Christmas? <laughs> I like Christmas at Christmas time, you know. <laughs> so, uh, and I was very pleased to to receive it. So this is Half Past Danger, uh, which was one of the first books that one of the first trades that I ever bought in uh, in Coffee and Heroes. Uh, so half past danger. It's it's part Indiana Jones, part World War Two action, part Captain America, part Jurassic Park. Uh, you know it's absolutely unbelievable. Um, first one was half past danger. The second series, which I bought in individual issues, was called You'll Love This Title Party: Half Past Danger, Dead to Rikes. <laughs> <laughs> and this uh, and this is the half past danger Christmas special. It's half past danger away in a danger. <laughs> <laughs> you know so Stephen Mooney is, uh, is an Irish creator uh, you know and this is 
an anthology, Alan. Oh my goodness, a second anthology in one. Yeah, absolutely. There are there are nine chapters. Um, uh, Stephen Mooney and uh, and Truna Farrell on uh, on Away in a Danger, which is the, the main story at the start. It it kind of it, it it variously has the crew, uh, the the half past danger crew. Um, you know, celebrating Christmas or around Christmas, you know, so it kind of is like one of those Christmas annuals you used to get whenever you were, you know, a, a kid, you get Christmas comic annuals. So it's exploring these different characters' relationships with Christmas together or apart. Uh, chapter two, uh, Story and Art is by Declan Shelby, our, our good buddy. Uh, chapter three, uh, In the Bleak Wood Winter is by Stephen Byrne and, and the story is by, uh, the art's by Stephen Byrne, the story is by Byrne and Mooney. We've got uh, chapter four, Story and Art by Nick Roche. Uh, chapter five, uh, story by Mooney, art by Will Sliney. You know, so it's a, it's a who's who. Stephen Thompson, uh, PJ Holden, Nate Stockman, uh, Jimmy Tian, uh, and uh, there's a pinup section. So it's it's kind of a who's who of, of Irish creators. Uh, you know, and and some just some great stories. Very much in the some of them are one or two pages, some of them are three or four pages. Um, you know, but they're uh, just they're all fantastic. It's great to be reintroduced to these characters. Uh, you know, to to learn a wee bit more about uh, Tommy's childhood in in 1920s Dublin, uh, you know, before he became, you know, the the, the whiskey drinking Irish soldier that he is, you know, um, and uh, and yeah, there's a, there's some great pin up sections in the back, you know, and uh, it's just it's lovely. Mine came along with uh, with a, a nice print, uh, you know, a nice uh, a nice uh, drawing of one of the main characters. as we a wee print of Tommy, and uh, and I got a wee a wee half past danger pin. So uh, thanks very much to Stephen Mooney, and of course, you know one of my favourite parts of it is the advertisement on the back. Half past danger three, yeah, I've always had a soft spot for half past danger because as Keith says, it's like the easiest thing in the world to pitch in a comic store in like ten words. It's like and then a Jones meets Jurassic Park. What more do you need? Stop. You know, <laughs> and uh yeah i mean that's that's the thing i mean kickstarter is an interesting platform sometimes it's it can sometimes be taken over by the big boys i think but with this one it was one that they they offered what was called a retailer tier so i was able to secure 10 copies of it which is what we're waiting on but uh as is always a little bit of a tradition now with coffee in here is anytime we get an artist to do a commission or we meet an artist we ask them to draw you know, a comic character drinking a cup of coffee and then our logos on it. And I was in touch with Stephen Mooney and, you know, he's going to draw the main character, Tommy, from it. A cup of coffee in his hands. Um, and he's either... I can't remember if it's going to have the logo in the cup or if he was going to say... He was going to do like a speech bubble, sort of going like, oh, I love my coffee, coffee and ears or something like that. So I'm looking forward to getting that through the door as well. Because mm -hmm. uh, I have a couple of commissions actually in the store that I really need to get prints made of. Uh, not everybody has seen all of these commissions just uh -huh. yet, uh -huh. <laughs> but more on that soon. More on that soon. So, but yeah, I'm just—I genuinely just want to read it. I mean, similar to yeah. Keith, I'm—I'm I'm a fan, uh, and I think we we'll, we we'll should definitely reach out to to Stephen Mooney. I know when we talked to Declan Shelby in the podcast, he was saying he was a—he was a good egg, good to talk to. So uh, we'll certainly do our best to to make that happen as well. Be lovely. So that brings us then to the end of December 23rd. And, you know, it's almost like you feel like it's an achievement that, that you've been brought up to date by the 23rd. But then we realize there's been three comic weeks worth of releases <laughs> since. But we will endeavor to bring those to you soon as well. Uh, but uh, that's going to cover us, as I say, for the 16th and the 23rd as well. 
Make sure to check out some of the, the previous podcasts we put up just before this one. Some really great creator interviews. Rodney Barnes was an absolute pleasure with Philadelphia. John Lehman from Chew. You know, there's, there's there's a few other ones there, and they're really, really interesting if you're interested in the uh, the comics industry and some of the stories behind it. So uh, you can keep up to date with the store through the uh, Facebook page, through the website, through Instagram, Twitter, the usual stuff. And I am endeavoring to get back to my YouTube stuff this weekend. The last two weeks have just been a bit nuts to be honest getting back on the horse with deliveries and so forth so that's going to do it from us so thank you very much for your time gentlemen as always no problem at all it's been a pleasure catching up i really enjoyed crack great crack and uh we can allow paddy to go home now that since he has been recording this from his office (laughs) black fox solutions for all your recruitment needs Does that mean your uh, your business is going to start sponsoring the podcast? We, we we see a wee bit of coin there. Well, first of all, the boss doesn't know I'm using his office, so <laughs> he's not a comic fan, uh, is he? <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, we'll see. That's until I tag the company in the uh, release. <laughs> <laughs> There's some information you might want to hear at the end of this, good sir. Anyway, <laughs> cheers again, guys. I'll look forward to chatting to you again soon. Okay, bye bye.